stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! It's episode 78. Will Mercedes win a ton? Let's roll with season preview week on Motorsport 101. Gentlemen, welcome to episode 78, but you already knew that, of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbour, that's Mr. Andre Harrison. And uh, with me, as always, you have Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hey, hey guys. Glad to be here. Well, uh, Formula One season starting up. Yay. You know, we're all, we're, you can tell on this show, we're all really, <laughs> you can tell we're all trying to feign excitement here, it's great, like, like, the, the, like the beacon of hope is among us all, especially given the loud Tennessee voice in the background, formerly known as RJ O'Connell, hello sir, welcome back. Good evening everybody, good day to you wherever you were listening to this podcast around the world, I am here at my brand new headquarters recording i missed last week because i was busy moving house but i'm back it's gonna be a good one you, you missed the show by literally moving down the road like what is wrong with you <laughs> yeah it, it's 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 a funny thing because i didn't have any of my shit set up in time mm. i don't blame you you were too busy watching nascar weren't you <laughs> oh no no just uh, just in fairness nobody is i mean not even that not even that fight that y'all talked about last week drew in like the ratings that they thought it would <laughs> well that, that's a that's a problem because no one can say like oh watch the nascar race because there's going to be a fight they're gonna get the ratings after the fact on like social media and stuff like that they'll, they'll get the youtube hits they won't get the tv viewership but um gotta just say as well I'm glad that so many people loved that Keeping It 101 segment last week. Um, shout out to everybody that, that sent in feedback. Like, say, the uh, King, I had about half a dozen people tell me I just Googled the Malice in the Palace and they just completely <laughs> loved it. Like, Danny did, Elizabeth did, um, I think it was Evan did as well. So, thanks. Shout out to everybody that, that, that seemed to really like that segment. It was probably the most we've laughed on a segment in quite some time. We yes. really enjoyed it. Yes, it, um, it, was, it was a bright spot in that, like, the, the post-Michael Jordan, but pre-LeBron era of the NBA where most people really didn't care about the NBA. <laughs> No, it was that era when, when uh, Peter Stojakovic was fourth in MVP voting one year. You can tell nobody cared about basketball between the years of 99 and 2006. They, <laughs> still, they still banned the wrong dude for the full season, but, you know, I think we all know yeah. that by now. Yes, <laughs> yes. Justice for, for Metal World Peace. Um, yeah, I can't believe he still changed his name. Uh, <laughs> in any case, glad you guys really enjoyed it. If you haven't seen that, by the way, you can listen to last week's episode, Episode 77, Manus and the Strategist. Or you can find it on our YouTube channel. See that segue? That was very neat. Uh, It's at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. You can follow us on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to like to follow us personally on Twitter, our personal accounts are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, and at RJ O'Connell. We're all apparently being super nice to each other because today, as we record this on March 20th, it's International Happiness Day. 
Oh, let's get happy, y'all. We need we need some happiness in our lives because there's not a whole heck of a lot to be happy about. No, we're, we're on honest. we're on short supply, and if if it comes down to it, we will have King and RJ fight on the podcast for your entertainment. Uh, <laughs> we it's, need ratings. It's, the, it's it. the battle for the contract to be the one lone American on the podcast. Yep. <laughs> and if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. As said last week, if we get to 100 bucks a month, we promise weekly hangouts and inevitably multiple screenshots of my face. Um, <laughs> Two, 200 bucks a month, you get both of us guaranteed Americans to be remaining on the show so we don't have to fight for a contract. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I pay you guys handsomely in raw meat. Uh, <laughs> If you like, so if you like us, you can back us on there as well. That is that that would be delightful. And of course, you can check all of our content out on Motorsport One Hundred and One. The thirty and thirty train rolls on. Day twenty will be up tonight. I can smell the finish line. It's so close. It's delicious. We're 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 getting there. We're getting there. But it it, it will be it will be delightful. But um, check us all out on there. A lot of website changes coming up as well, actually, in the coming weeks. Lewis has, has got an account there to write stuff, so you might see some blogs from Lewis in the near future on the biking world, so you can look forward to that. Um, and we're going to have the Bike Life stuff on there as well on the website very, very soon, so that's all going to get ironed out. And eventually, we're going to try and craft Mount Nightfell on there, probably towards the spring and summer months, once King finds time to write, because King's yeah. a busy man these days. But um, I'm really looking forward to how that turns out. Um, we're sorting all the logo stuff out, so hopefully by the time you listen to this, a lot of it will have been ironed out by now. But if not, it'll be a nice surprise when you click on the link and find out. But um, that's the general housekeeping taken care of pretty much let's get into keeping it 101 for this week and whew, um rj you were the main you were the main guy pushing this this is the floor is yours let's talk about sebring y'all they launched a rocket during a sports car race <laughs> that's pretty, <All> right <laughs> that's so pretty hype. the 65th running of the mobile one 12 hours of sebring fueled by fresh from florida because because you just you got to have that sponsored not only by corporate sponsors but also by content by uh, concepts and just slogans I guess yeah it's anyway. like I'm just thinking can, can you fuel any car using orange juice mm. that would be that would be a good uh, that would be a good incentive to try and like start up like an alternative fuels project of a car that runs on orange juice. How hard could it be? <laughs> <laughs> I love the ambition. I really do. We, 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 should, we, we, should, we should launch a Kickstarter for that, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, it, was, it was a good race, but I want to talk about really the, the highlight of the evening. So, with, so within like the last quarter of the race, there is a safety car that comes out. And it just so happens that it's timed perfectly to catch the launch of Delta Ford or it's a big rocket launching out of Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, which is close to the Sebring International Raceway. It's carrying WGS-9, the eighth satellite of the... It's, it's some military satellite that's being used by the United States Air Force, and they're launching this thing into orbit, and it just so happens that they timed out the safety car perfectly to where they can actually see... Like, the TV cameras caught the, uh, the rocket launching up into orbit, and it was just a brilliant brilliant sight fantastic it, sight 
Yes, it really was. And not only that, but I heard reports of like pit crews missing, messing up their pit stops under the safety car because they were too enthralled watching this rocket. <laughs> <laughs> like if you, like That's this great. was a great, this was a great deal. I said to myself, like, man, I know this would be logistically impossible, but if they could make like a rocket launch at like the three quarter mark of the 12 hours of Sebring and just make that like an annual tradition of the event, Man, that would be something. Yeah, like yeah we, said, we, we, we need rocket launches. We need we need lightning strikes because those look dramatic on camera too. Oh, God, we need yeah. Lightnings. We need rocket launches, fireworks. We don't need them to be the same thing because when rocket launches become fireworks, bad things happen. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, yeah, that, so that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a challenge that we don't need to overcome. No. Goodness. Um... It was it was a very good race. Um, once again, Cadillac's DPI program looked like the only one that had actually shown up with with some level of competence. At Daytona, everybody just thought, "Well, this was just a BOP issue, so we'll just we'll take some air restrictor out, we'll give them a little more weight, and that'll solve it." Turns out, Sebring exposed uh, not only the fact that Cadillac's main competition were not only slower to them, they were also less reliable. Mazda went in fuego within the first hour of the race. Uh, both, Nissan, both, both Nissan DBIs, including the one of defending race winner Pipo Durrani, broke down. Oh, not, and, not, a, not, not our man's Poop Durrani. No, no, not Poop Durrani. Oh, it sounds so terrible to say. <laughs> but it's a term of endearment. It's a term of endearment. Like, Pipo, if you, if you ever listen to this show, trust me, we do this because we really like you. And you, you, you want a place in the Hall of Fame of Motorsport 101 because of the draft, the Matt's pick. We do this out of love, we promise. <laughs> oh, man. It was it was a good race um, won by the Wayne Taylor Racing Corvette. Uh, excuse me, the Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac. I always want to say it's a Corvette because last year it was a Corvette uh, Daytona prototype. And now it's a Cadillac, so I've still got to get used to that. Yeah, um, that's a weird one. Very it's, similar. Yes. It's it's basically the same engine, just in a car that doesn't look like um just doesn't look like a child's drawing of a group C prototype. Anyway, Ricky, Jordan Taylor, and Alex Lynn win the twelve hours of Sebring. It's Wayne Taylor Racing's second win to open the season in as many races. And Ricky and Jordan Taylor become the second driver combination in a row to win the fabled 36 hours of Florida, which is the 24 hours of Daytona well, and 12 hours of Sebring back-to-back. Oh, yeah, they, they had four drivers. I'm like, wasn't it only Jordan? And it's like, yeah, both of them were at 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yep. both yep. both the Taylor brothers were there. Alex Lynn was not there, but he did win in his North American debut. Um, had some pretty fantastic scraps. So good job for you, Alex. You are now officially a winner in America and... Of course, Alex Lynn is going to drive for G-Drive Racing in the WEC this year. So that's something to look forward to. And, and RJ, he has magnificent hair. Isn't that right, Alex? Lynn. Magnificent. <clears throat> um, <laughs> GT Lamar was expected to be another um, Ford beat him down. It turns out Corvette Racing had something up their sleeve with some fantastic driving from Spaniard Antonio Garcia. He's been with the program for years and years and years. Was actually part of that generation of drivers with Fernando Alonso, Marchionne, Oriol Servia, who came up in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
Garcia never quite reached Formula One, but he's carved out a niche in sports cars, and this was probably one of his best drives mm. to deny Sebastian Bourdais, Dirk Moeller, and Joey Hand the hat trick of winning Le Mans, Daytona, and Sebring in the same calendar year. Another mm. reason why Sebastian Bourdais is a goddamn lunatic and a brilliant fucking driver, but there we are. He, he would have won <laughs> all the major races in Florida so far this year if he would. Well, besides the five Daytona 500 but yeah he would have won yeah the 25 hours of Daytona you would have won St. Petersburg and he would have won Sebring number one in Tampa (laughs) number one one take that Jimmy's Winston Uh, Uh, so yeah on one one hand my boys won on the other hand my boy lost (laughs) (laughs) how many adopted sons do you have King hey hey not enough before Bourdais decided, oh, I'm going to go GT racing for Ford, I only had my Corvette boys. How, how much of an internal conflict is this for you right now? Uh, if it's not Bourdais' if, if it's not Bourdais Ford, it better be a goddamn Corvette. <laughs> it, better be, it better be the number 69 Ford, which didn't race. Hashtag That's a whole nice. story. Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, performance Tech Racing winning the very depleted but still very clean prototype challenge class. That always seems to be the calamity class, and not one of them caused a wreck the whole time. Granted, it helped that there were only four of them in this race, but still a <laughs> very good job from the Performance Ra- Tech Racing team. And in GT Daytona, Mercedes AMG picked up their first win with uh, with the WeatherTech Riley Motorsports squad. Riley, who were struggling with their uh, Daytona prototype and their LMP2 programs, have now turned it around and gotten some wins out of out of their GT3 GTD program. Mercedes AMG and only their second race picks up a big win. I know Johnson was upset though because it wasn't the Mercedes AMG that he wanted to win, but still a win's a win nonetheless for the Silver Arrows. I have a feeling we'll be saying a lot of Silver Arrows victories in 2017. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever gave you that idea. <laughs> also, big congratulations to Christina Nielsen for finishing second with her team in Scuderia Corsa. Woo! GT Daytona, yes. Very awesome. Very awesome indeed to see. You um, go, I think really the, the one last note that I want to make was that, man, it was really brought to light that people just don't slow down for yellow flags anymore. Oh, God. Um, no. Oh, so Lord. Sage Serum stopped out on the track during, like, during like this this fast sequence of left-hand corners. I can't remember where it was, but these cars that were going past them and the safety workers that were tending to his strolled car were not stopping. They were not even backing down. This got the attention of IMSA radio commentators John Hindow and Jeremy Saw, who went on an impassioned statement about how these drivers, they cannot be trusted to slow down for yellow flags anymore, and that's why we have virtual safety cars, and that's why we have like actual safety cars to neutralize the race, because they just don't slow down. And it's not just one driver in particular, it's an entire mentality that you have to keep pushing under the circumstances. Yeah. Like, I saw, yeah, so... I saw the incident in question, because I had to miss most of the race, but like, the moment it happened, somebody put it immediately the entire the entire incident on youtube and it's like yeah they're just if if someone didn't tell me that someone was waving yellow flag i wouldn't be able to tell the difference no indeed and i and i went on it and i i thought of it like just imagine like if you were broken down on the side of like an interstate highway um 
I've had this happen to me a couple times. When people are going like 55 miles an hour past you as you're attending to your stricken car or somebody's trying to help you, that could be a bit frightening. If they were doing like 100 miles an hour, that would terrify me to death and cause me to have a panic attack. Mm. This has happened before. Ironically, ironically, like you would, like you would have no problem getting drivers to slow down for an incident on the side of the road on an interstate highway. In fact, they will slow down enough to back up traffic for 15 miles. <laughs> but that's the yeah. way it should be. That's that's honestly the way it should yeah. be. And I mean, we've we've talked about it before on this podcast, but the dangers of not observing yellow flags and not backing down enough. And Lord knows that's. That's basically why we have things like virtual safety car. Even if people don't like it, that's kind of the way it has to be now because it's now in the driver's heads that you have to keep pushing no matter the circumstances. Yeah, we talked about it just last week with with IndyCar in St. Petersburg, where people were like, oh, why why did IndyCar call out the yellow flags? Like, do we not remember, like, when both Andretti's just ignored the fact that there was, you know, a yellow flag and vehicles were out on the track and they rear-ended a goddamn tow truck. Oh, God. Mm. Not ideal. So, apart from that, um, 12 Hours of Sebring was a good race. I kind of passively watched most of it, but they did did set a current distance record um, for the current era of the unified... United Sports Car Championship, or whatever they're calling it. It was just about 100 kilometers short of the 2013 race, which was headlined by LMP1 cars, which are obviously much quicker. They Ricky Taylor, Jordan Taylor, and Alex Lynn did 2,094 kilometers in 12 that's hours. Lot. That is a lot. <laughs> Man, that that's crazy. They, they were pushing. They were pushing, they were pushing hard out there. Good, good race. Ah, and that is that is my very disjointed report of the 12 Hours of Sabring. Dre, what would you like to talk about? Guys, guys, just how good is Top Gear, y'all? How good is Top Gear? <laughs> oh my god, like, like RJ's an episode behind, like, me and King, and uh, like, King's having something, you're halfway for episode three right now? Um, yeah, yes, I'm halfway through, yeah, yeah, I'm halfway yeah. through episode three. So I'm, I'm not going to give anything away for last night's episode that was on. You have to go out of your way to see it again. This new series is so good. I I, I have to say like this because this is one of the like three things I kind of want to talk about. The third one's only kind of a minor joke thing on the Twitter now, but uh, yeah, Top Gear was, was this series is so good. It is so good. I'm so enjoying this series. It's been a breath of fresh air. Like guys, like Chris Harris, who was was amazing on YouTube. Him being on Top Gear is everything I could have wanted and more. It's amazing. It makes me so happy that he's on Top Gear now. And he's really good. <laughs> and he was the wearing energy, a... <laughs> the energy that he and Matt LeBlanc and Rory Reed have between each other is so good. And I know mm-hmm. that you had said like it was kind of shaky in the first episode. I didn't even mm-hmm. really notice because like it's yeah. it's such a breath of fresh air. And just to see how well they get along and how well they're cutting up and just how fresh it feels from the previous era of Top Gear. Yeah, exactly. It just, it just, it feels like a different show, and that is the best thing I can say about it. Because we mentioned it before on previous episodes that 
Clarkson, Hammond and May have gone stale and they are content with making exactly the same show over and over again and they've been doing that for five or six years now and hey, their audience loves them so much it almost doesn't matter what show they produce these days but it looked like the BBC has taken every bit of main feedback they got from last year and have actually improved infinitely in what they had last season. I mean, I I feel bad for Chris Evans in a sense because Evans had to probably work a little bit too hard given the magnitude of the task he had to do basically spearheading this new show. I mean, no one person should be doing that, but I'm so glad they listened and they built the show around LeBlanc, Harris and Reed. The chemistry they have together, it's getting better every week. Um, Rory Reed is a delight. I, 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 like, I can't believe the man is 37. He acts and he walks like he's 25. Like, oh my he's, god, he, he's 37. Y'all, I wouldn't have even guessed. Also, I really enjoyed his statement about how important electric cars are and just not have it be like totally shat on. I mean, yeah. Harris and LeBlanc did it for comedic effect, but not to the point where it was completely overdone. Yeah. Because you know what? They don't have to try so hard to make these out-of-the-park jokes by being controversial for the sake of it. Like Top Gear did so many times where they're describing cars as overly gay or they're using racial slurs by accident or they're trying to piss off an entire country like Mexico, for example. Yeah. And then what I building think on an the entire most... VT around it. Yeah, <laughs> on the most recent episode, I think it was like more of a like a throwaway comment, but it really kind of came out to me as like, oh, this is a new take on things where... Matt LeBlanc said in the new Aston Martin where he said, I didn't, ca- I don't care if it's designed by Germans, this Aston Martin works. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, now, now that I think about it, now you say that, that actually is a perfect analogy for the new Top Gear. Where instead of taking the piss out of the Germans, they're embracing the good side of their game. That's Can a we very just weird talk thing. about how great Matt LeBlanc's narration voice was, especially at the end of the first episode of series season 24? Yes. It that was, was amazing. That brought a tear to my eye, dude. Y'all, this series is... It's so good. And I love the fact that the Toyota 86 is a reasonably fast car now. It's like so it felt cool. Like when da- I've seen David Tennant drive the old reasonably priced car. Mm-hmm. And watching him drive the 86, it felt like somebody who was tackling the track for the first time. But I knew in the back of my mind, like, oh yeah, he's done this before. Yeah, yeah. And it still felt fresh, it still felt original, and it still felt really cool. And watching Chris Harris bollock people in the backseat of a car is hilarious. <laughs> That's um, <great. laughs> it's, like, it's just nice. To, like, it's so nice to have a series of Top Gear that makes me feel happy, and I'm hyped, and I'm looking forward to seeing new episodes. I mean, King, I don't want to spoil this. This is a minor spoiler, but what they're teasing next week is going to be insane. But um, I'll I'll tell you right now, Chris Harris, world first review of the new Bugatti Chiron. Oh, Oh, damn. My goodness. And I and I thought and I thought the the Ferrari, the Ferrari FSSK review was something. Bugatti Chiron review for episode four. Oh, and one more thing. This is a this is a game changer. I mentioned it on Twitter last night. Matt LeBlanc. World first review of the new Chicati 1299 Superleggera. <laughs> They're oh, reviewing wow. a bike? Yes, oh. sir. A bike review next week. Like, Clarkson is, is rolling over in his hot tub right now. It's amazing. <laughs> rolling They're reviewing over, a bike. Rolling over in his hot tub full of Amazon money, which is fine. But y'all, y'all, I want an Alfa Romeo Julia now. I don't care yes, that it's do. out of my income bracket. I want one. <laughs> 
Like, you felt like robbing any banks lately, RJ? You know? Oh, you know, man. It, you know, I'm desperate it, enough. It, here's an idea. Put $10 and put it down on Pascal Verlein to win the World Championship. He's only 5,000 to 1. If it worked for Leicester City, you know... Yeah. Well, well that's, r- that's remember what remember what sport we're talking about here? <laughs> yeah, football. I mean, what what's the worst that could possibly happen? <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not like Pascal Verlein would run risk of getting relegated to GP two the following year if he um sorry run the risk of getting relegated to Formula Two next year if he did if he won the championship this year. Oh, oh, <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. Let's uh. <clears throat> Let's move on. But uh, in, in, overall, like I said, I am so happy that Top Gear is so good. And we're going to keep talking about it as the series goes on because it's just keeping us new stuff to talk about all the time. And this, this show is so good. I'm really enjoying it. It's it's a fresh take on a, on a done format. And I'm so glad that the BBC have listened. And uh, oh, yeah, if you haven't seen episode three yet, Sabine's in it. Does she make any mention about how she's not on the show as regular anymore? Not really, but uh, it's still... It, it doesn't opportunity. Make it, it doesn't make it any less enjoyable, King. Tr- trust me. The, the, like, you'll see it when you watch it after the show goes out, and after we finish doing this. You'll see on the episode later on the line. The level of enthusiasm with, with, with her and Rory Reed in the same car... If you're not smiling by the end of that segment, then you're not fuming. It's fantastic. Um, it's, it's, it's infectious. It's just so nice to have a show to be excited about. And um, moving on a little bit here, just segueing nicely here again into the next part of what I was going to say is that like, it's nice to be able to come home from work on a Sunday and actually be in front of a TV watching something that isn't live sports. Because, <laughs> like, it's, it's like, it's like the throwback. Because now on BBC Two, if you're in the United Kingdom, on a Sunday night at seven, you're getting Robot Wars, the, 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 the second series of the reboots, technically series nine of Robot Wars, and now Top Gear back-to-back on a Sunday night, which is just the most fun thing imaginable. Like, the Robot Wars reboot, we've said it before, it's still really good. It's still really good. A couple of minor nitpicks, like the, the set design is starting to fall apart a little bit. Like we've had chunks of arena come out before, and the pit messed up a couple of fights in this episode. But it's 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 still really great. Like I that's I still our... better structural integrity than the Oakland Raiders Stadium right now. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> we'll take it, we'll take it. But um, it's so good. Again, we mentioned it before. Like Dara Breen and Angela Scanlon are great hosts. Like what I loved about it was that four was back on this series. And because they're both Irish, they have their accents kick in. They can't help but pronounce it four, <laughs> like, like, like like you're watching golf. It's great. <laughs> the, uh, they can't hide the Irish in them. It's fantastic. But the series has been really, really good so far. People, have, uh, uh, this is the part where Johnson would be so helpful right about now, but he's not here. He's too busy making gaming videos. The traitor is swine. Um, but <laughs> I'm joking, Johnson. We love you, man. Come back soon. Um, <laughs> but in the meantime. It's really, really fun. It's, it's it's great to see it's still on. It's, it's still going forward in its second series, even if the spinner is now completely overpowered. Like, that's becoming the trend now. It's either spinners or flippers. And most of the times, it's spinners. And that makes it a little bit repetitive because we've already got Aftershock that's in the, it's in the grand final, which was Shockwave from the, fir- from, like, the first rebooted series. It's got a giant spinner on it. Clearly based off carbide, <laughs> and now like we've had eruption in the grand final in the second episode, and they're an enormous flipper, and they're amazing. Four ring outs in the heats, 
four unbelievable um, stuff. And now we have um, Concussion in the grand final as well, which is a drum spinner. So King, the spinners are overpowered. They're all copying him the disc now, basically. <laughs> They're all got, it's, it's the be- it's the best design strategy to go with. Yeah, just build it like like I joked about this on episode one. And after Shock went through, it was just because it was the same guys that built Shockwave, which was like a like a mini behemoth, just like a scoop robot, basically. And I said I joked about it, it's like oh yeah, because they said at the end of the Heat Finals, like oh yeah, we were inspired a lot by 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 Carbide of last year and. I said, hmm, or if there goes to a dream sequence where it just goes, okay, what do we do? Get a spinner, a big one. <laughs> and they come back with Optic, which is just an enormous spinner on the front of their robot. It's, it's, it's crazy. But overall, we're going to talk about that. And um, also, one more thing I've got to say as well. Um, guys, I've developed an addiction to Snapple. It's, it's, it's becoming <laughs> a problem. <laughs> I've, I've seen evidence of this. Okay, so what is your, what is your favorite cup flavor of Snapple? Oh, um, gosh, I, I, I've still got to try a couple more out because I've, I've still still waiting around on this one. But um, I like mango a lot. Mango is delicious. Kiwi strawberry is great. Um, wasn't so wasn't so much a fan of the raspberry, the raspberry and cranberry mix. But um, mango and kiwi strawberry are delightful indeed. And like, I love the fact that people are now picking up on this and they're actually buying Snapple. Shout out to Patreon back at Andrew for talking to me about this. That he's, he's got like there's there's like they have iced tea versions in the states. I don't think we have that here. That's yeah. really annoying. <laughs> we, we don't, I'm not seeing anything like peach tea or anything like because I don't like. We have Lipton iced tea over here, and it's terrible. So, like, if there's peach tea Snapple in the United Kingdom, point it in my direction and send it to my house. I, 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 I would exchange a crate of Snapple for a Motorsport 101 t-shirt. I'm putting that on the record right now. <laughs> it's, a new, wanna... it's a new Patreon backer tier, just one crate of Snapple. <laughs> it doesn't have to be money. It's just straight up exchange of goods. Feed my addiction. <laughs> We're Do bringing it. back the barter system here on Motorsport 101. We, we are Snapple. And Snapple, if you're listening, we all love, we all love Marco Andretti here. He's a, he's a truly tremendous driver. We, he just so happens to be sponsored by you. I'm just saying, if Marco never wins the 500 and he can't drink a can of Snapple on the air, send it my way. Like we, we you can sponsor the show. I will drink all the Snapple on the air. We'll have a beautiful business relationship. Think of the proceeds. <laughs> so Snapple, if you're out there, holler at your boy. <laughs> Please, <laughs> that would be wonderful. But yeah, I've I've got I've to snap on addiction. It's it's not good for my health, but I don't care because it's delicious. <laughs> it's a it's a better uh, soft drink addiction than Mountain Dew. Oh God, like like we only just, we only started getting Mountain Dew in this country about four years ago, and it just tastes like sugar. Oh, what the what the heck? Yeah. I, I, how did it take that long? I, I don't know, RJ, but like we like like Mountain Dew, like it just wasn't over here until about 2013. I want to say 2012, 2013, something like that. This but, blows my mind. I've never known a life without Mountain Dew. I understand that it is the most garbage soda that you can drink. It's terrible. It's what is delicious? What is wrong with you, RJ? Like, how could you be? You've got problems, man. You've got problems. I know nah, I do. nah. I, I think it's because Dre's not American. <laughs> It has nothing. I drink Snapple. It's made in New York. I mean, that's not the problem here. (laughs) The problem is Mountain Dew tastes like sugar. I mean, it is. It is delicious radioactive extreme sports sugar. (laughs) I'm here for it. Yeah, it it was. It was the Red Bull before Red Bull. (laughs) 
King. RJ is the kind of guy that clearly is at home, and all he does now is drink Mountain Dew while playing Call of Duty and eating Doritos. He's, he's that guy. Whoa. Oh, my <laughs> God. No, I... I've got to, I've got to call myself out on this because there have been times where I where I'm getting a Mountain Dew from the store and I'm thinking maybe I should grab a snack. So I grab myself a bag of spicy nacho Doritos and as I'm walking up to the counter to pay for my items, I realize what I'm doing and I know that I am powerless to stop it. I don't care. I was on the money. That's amazing. That was just a joke. <laughs> catch That's catch a- me at your local quick trip buying a Mountain Dew and Doritos and feeding into all those negative video gamer stereotypes. That is amazing. I love this job. I love this show. Please. Like like that is that is the way of shooting your shot there, kids. Calling RJ's addictions and hey, Doritos and Mountain Dew. W- way to go, RJ. When are you starting your streaming channel on Twitch playing Call of Duty Infinite Warfare? For like twelve um, hours a day. Once I once I figure out a way to just uh, figure out a way to make money off of it, hand over fist, um, <laughs> I believe we'll get set up. Just ignore my terrible KD ratio. <laughs> <laughs> just ignore my terrible KD ratio. Yeah, man, I, I, my KD ratio is zero point three. I mean, this is so elite, you guys. I'm sponsored by G Fuel, Gatorade, and Mountain Dew. <laughs> y'all, y'all. Phase and Optic Gaming are backing up the money truck for me as we speak. <laughs> it's the Tony Elias of esports gaming right here. <laughs> I had to watch that again the other day, yesterday, 2006, and the amount of jokes they make about Elias and the amount of money he'll get for saving on the season is amazing. It's like Julian Ryder just goes, well, that's five less points of Valentino Rossi. And he goes, how much money, how much gold are they going to give Tony Elias for this goes? And then Ryder goes, at this point, you might as well back up the truck. <laughs> it's great. Um, the commentary on that is amazing. One of these days I will make a video about that properly. It's like the one I did was kind of garbage. But we'll move on. Anyway, that'll do it for keeping it 101 this week. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, oh Ryan is cutting it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. RJ got his chance. You got your chance. That's my turn. All right, King. All right, all right, King. You, you, you got this. <laughs> Go okay, just, just so I didn't, like, oversell it or anything, it's usual just me kind of talking about F1 politics. I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, way to lower the mood around here, King. I'm getting a tire snapper out of my fridge. Fuck this. So I'm sorry. It's like the editor of Autosport.com did an interview with Bernie Eccleston yesterday, and I mm-hmm. think it was fairly interesting, so I'm going to bring up some points about it. First off, number one point, it was it was with the editor of Autosport.com, and I'm reading this on Motorsport.com. That's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, per- new- the perks new- of the new ownership, I guess. You have found a way to to subter- to subvert the uh, the Autosport paywall. It, it's called it's called corporate synergy, RJ. Corporate synergy. <laughs> you so, you corporate hussy king. Oh my god. Assimilating into the Borg. The Borg yep. owned by Zach Brown. Who yeah. likes chicken fried, cold beer on a Friday night. Wait, wrong Zach Brown. <laughs> but but in Bernie's terms, it might be the same Zach Brown. Tell, yeah, tell well, us more, Mr. King. Well, uh, Bernie said Liberty is looking to introduce a new philosophy to F1 by making the sport less exclusive. Quote, I look at it in a different way 
to other people. Everyone wants to go to a restaurant where you can where you can't get a seat. So I was very strict with things like paddock passes, and Liberty's philosophy is more open. They have an American culture, and in an American race, everyone in everyone is in the paddock and the pits, and they could chat with the drivers and sit in their cars. And F1, we've been running a five-star Michelin restaurant, not a hamburger joint, but maybe now the cuisine will be more accessible, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have an even better taste. That's actually really rational from Bernie Eccleston. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> well, yeah, at first I was like, is he throwing them under the bus? Until the last sentence. It's like, no, that's a compliment. Huh? Yeah, it's like, it's like, I'm expecting, it's a little bit backhanded, but yeah, it's, what on earth? Although huh? I would say, I, w- I would rather turn up at a hamburger joint if I'm feeling hungry at like nine in the morning with my friends and just want to turn up somewhere. Like, I don't yeah. want to go to a five-star Michelin restaurant if I, if me and my friends just want to get something to eat because we're fucking around and have nothing else to do. No, we're talking about the Waffle House. The Waffle House. RJ, we have five guys in the United Kingdom now. It's the best. Yes, it is so great. It is very open. It it is very high dollar stuff, but man, is it worth it. Yeah, man, seriously. It's like, it's eight quid for a burger over here in the United Kingdom at five guys, but it's so good, I almost don't care. (laughs) But um, I I get the analogy, and it's one that actually makes a lot of sense, because I know for a fact that, for example, in IndyCar... You, like paddock passes are dirt cheap, and there is just this level of accessibility you just don't get in other series. Where, like, I was watching St. Petersburg last week, and they're interviewing James Hinchcliffe in the paddock in the back, and you just see fans walking past him all the time, and he's going to have a chat with two of his fans and take a selfie with them afterwards. It's wait, it's a, it, wait, wait, wait. Does this does this mean that there could be a world where we could get press passes to a Formula One Grand Prix, King? <laughs> King, <laughs> don't start giving us ideas. A world <laughs> where we don't have to pay those exorbitant ticket prices to get in. We can get in free of charge as long as we produce content. Uh, I mean, yeah, hmm. they're dying for some better writers to cover these events anyway. It's fine. How about yeah. guys that write a lot in consecutive days? Is there a market for that? <laughs> Actually, that used to be the old requirement. Like, uh, the requirement before, pretty much anyone could get a press pass, but you had to write a report of what happened during every session. Ooh. That's doable. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Just Is this the fault? Because, I mean, we're in an era where, like, it, it costs literally an arm and a leg to get to Silverstone these days in terms of ticket prices and whatnot. So, hey, if Liberty Media is going to, like, if they're trying to make things more open, this is only a good thing for the fans. And I know Bernie, I know that's not the way Bernie has been running the ship for the last couple of decades at least, but I'm glad that he's seemingly open to the idea. Well, he's not running it anymore, so. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, he's not not poo-pooing it, basically. He's saying, well, yeah, it's different, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, and... I know. I'm, I'm glad that this is becoming a thing. Because, like, for example, in World Superbikes, Paddock Passes, and, and, and same in IndyCar, dirt cheap. They're like 50, 60 quid. And you get Paddock Passes, and you can talk to the riders, and you can you can walk into the garages, and some of them will give you tours. And it's really cool, actually. It's, like, it's ridiculously accessible. Like, I've, 
we, we know the the indie car marching circus of folks like Connors and and Worth and whatnot. And every time they're at a Grand Prix, you get the some of the most amazing shots you would never get in an F1 garage ever. Yeah. So that is just the coolest shit right there. So hey, if Liberty Media can open the doors a little bit more, we can get more guys in the back. Um, hey, I am all for this. So yeah, like, glad to see that Bernie is is being reasonable about that whole thing. Completely it, agree. Yeah. Anything more on that, King? You good? Uh, one last thing. Uh, sure. My boy, Nico Rosberg, says he wants to maintain an involvement in motorsport, despite, you know, the whole he's not going to be driving again thing. So, yeah, he's looking for new ways to be positive and relaxed about racing. He wants to stick with racing in some capacity, whatever it may be. That was Nico, take yeah. the TV money. Be like John Gruden. Take that TV money. <laughs> take the- yes. TV is the goodest of good ass jobs. Like, yeah. I mentioned like, this. I mentioned this in a discussion with Dre when we were talking about how Claudio Ranieri was going to mm. be looking for other work. I was just like, no, no, take the TV money. Beyond Sky Sports is a pundit. Just <laughs> it's, it's the easiest job you can get. Listen, if you haven't ever seen Sky Sports coverage, it's now basically just a bunch of former footballers. It's Graham Souness, it's Jamie Carragher, Thierry Henry, Gary Neville. All just great personalities that are that are like they're barely pundits. It's great, and yet they still you get to don't make TV. Even money. have to be intelligible. No, it could be Jamie Carragher, who no one understands his accent. But you know, here we are. <laughs> like, take the TV money, Nico. Go on Channel Four. Gr- granted, Nico is not going to Charles Barkley his way to his uh, TV money, but still, he's a. Uh... Man, that would that would just be yeah. great. Like like King. My, yeah, my dream job right now is like, oh, if I could have like a motorsport history show and have like Nico be the the driver of the historic cars, that'd be awesome. <laughs> King, 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 you'd be too busy rocking a boner during every tape. <laughs> quite, quite frankly, nah, but, I'm, pre- uh, I'm pretty sure they would just like I do all the studio segments and he's like just the Stig out on the track by himself. Yeah, just just make sure the body shot is not below the waist. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a problem, <laughs> otherwise. But I, I like, I'd love to see him on Channel Four. He, he'd be a perfect fit. Like imagine that like, you'd have Steve Jones, who just done a tremendous job as an F one anchor so far. I must say, alongside like him, David Coulthard, Eddie Jordan, and then have Nico Rosberg. That would be so sick. I swear to God, like. Channel 4's team is already really, really good. I'm not, this is not to make them look bad or anything by saying, hi, Rosberg. We're making the best even better, quite frankly. Sky don't deserve him. Let Sky fester with... <laughs> let Sky fester with, with boring Lazenby, boring Hill, like Banterous Herbert and Natalie. Real men wear pink, pink them. Um, like, keep, keep that in the corner. Keep that in the corner. Like, we want Rosberg on, we want Rosberg on the good network. Before it goes let us, away, let us enjoy it before before they lose the rights. Yes, also, which they... at, the, at the very least, Rosberg is going to at least be collecting some money as an ambassador for Mercedes AMG and just come sure. to all their events. Yeah, so just just, just having rock up to stars in fast cars every year and just beat the brakes off Valtteri Bottas or something. Uh, <laughs> that I think will just about do it. To keep it one on one this week, unless somebody comes in with a last second point or something on Skype, maybe maybe Matt will invade the call or something. But uh, that'll do it. Let's get into a great big Formula One 2017 season preview.
This week on Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Welcome to the F1 season preview. Lewis, we're keeping that in. <laughs> but um, yeah, welcome everybody. It's the F1 2017 season preview. Uh, uh, or in the note says, season preview, baby! According uh, to Mr. O'Connell in the background. According to our notes. But um, yeah, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. Sort of. It's the 2017 cars. Aggressive aero. Ugly shark fins. Questionable Mercedes reliability. Maybe. Make them uh, look mean! Yeah. Make them look mean! Make them look mean, or I I like to say, it's 2017. Be aggressive. Be, be aggressive. <laughs> we got King. wider tires. We got wider rear wings. These cars are thick with two C's, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, this job. <laughs> the cars are different. We have new start procedures. We have new technical regulations and new rules against stockpiling engine bits so you don't just take one huge grid penalty and just save it for the rest of the year. Yay. Uh, so things are things are a bit different, but a lot is still the same. Yep, and let's run down, first of all, the 20 race calendar. It's not quite 21 this time. We're, we're back down to 20, like 2012 again. It's a 20 race calendar for this year. Obviously, we're starting this weekend, March 26th, with the Australian Grand Prix. Chances are, Albert if you're Prom- listening to this podcast, you will have, you will have already um, gone through at least probably qualifying and then just seen how bullshit our predictions are in person. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we, we can live with this. Um, <laughs> we'll roll with it. But yeah, I said March 26th for the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park in Melbourne, where Mercedes will probably crush our souls and deflate any hype that's been put into the season so far. Yay! Um, after that, a couple of weeks later, April 9th, we go to China. China now round two on the calendar instead of round three. That, that is the first part of a double header with Bahrain on April 16th, a week later. Couple of weeks after that, the European rounds begin with a trip to the, to the Sochi International Circuit at Russia. So, yep, the Russian Grand Prix now round four on the calendar. Or as back. we like to call it under our current political administration, the USGP East. <laughs> no, no, no. We we all know that uh, the United States Grand Prix is the Russian Western Grand. Prix. I mean, the Russian, yeah, the Russian Western Grand Prix. Same King- thing. Like, we, 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 get to, we get to a point that Ryan King has been assassinated during the recording of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so after that, a couple of weeks later, we, we, we head over to Spain for the Spanish Grand Prix in Catalonia. A couple of weeks after that, Monaco on May 28th. Two weeks later, we head over back over to the Americas for Canada on June the 11th from the Gilles Villeneuve circuit in Montreal. Then we go back to the country that welcomed us, Baku, Azerbaijan for the for the for the Azeri, as he puts in brackets here, yes, the, the, because it's now just the the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. It's no longer the European Grand Prix. Which, if people are having trouble saying the word Azerbaijan, then why not just use the demonym for the people from there, which is Azeri? Oh, that works. I, I just assume because they were Azerbaijan, they were Azerbaijani. But yeah. I guess I was wrong yep. about that. <laughs> they rhyme with Neil Yarny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy. Check out my sick rhymes, yo. <laughs> um, that, that's on June 25th. <laughs> Two weeks later, we go over to the Red Bull ring. 
um, in Austria for that one, Red Bull's home Grand Prix on that one. So that is the first part of a back-to-back with the British Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton land in Silverstone on July 16th. That race will probably actually be a quick, quick break. Both me and RJ were correct. You can call it Aziri or Azerbaijani. Both are correct. The more you know. You get more you get more options than you do if you actually went to Azerbaijan to do anything like <laughs> but, that's a, but that's a whole nother story. Questionable human rights there, as always. So like I said, Lewis Hamilton land, Silverstone, British Grand Prix. July 16th. That race will also probably be actually on free TV as well, given Sky's tradition. They'll probably put that one on Sky 1 instead of Sky Sports F1. So, yay for freebies and all that good stuff. So, yeah, let's look forward to that one. That is on July 16th. A couple of weeks' time. Magyar Nagadish! Did X Matty G invade the podcast? I mean, holy shit. I think you mean that's WTF1 correspondent Matty G? Yeah. I roll. Uh, July 30th on that one for the Hungarian Grand Prix. That's the summer break. Then we return on August 27th for the Belgian Grand Prix at Fast Bonkenschom. Probably inevitable to have a sea of orange for that one for all the Max Verstappen capers out there in the, in, in the crowds for Dutch Belgian Sun, of course. Another, that is the first week of another double header with the Italian Grand Prix at Monza, home of the Tifosi and inevitable fifth place finish. Uh, <laughs> look forward to that one. A couple of weeks later, we go over over back to Asia again for the Singapore Grand Prix on September 17th. After that, a couple of weeks later, the new spot for the Malaysian Grand Prix on October the 1st. After that, that's the first part of a back-to-back with the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka, one of my personal favourites. Uh, a couple of weeks after that, um, on October 22nd, we go back to another first part of a doubleheader as we go over to America. Oh, I thought it was the second part of our Russian Grand Prix double letter. Of course, of course. <clears throat> How can I be so foolish? Um, yeah, October 22nd, the United States Grand Prix, or as we have to call it on this show, the Russian Grand Prix West. Uh, October and 22nd. Circuit of the Americas, baby. Home of the best Twitter account in motorsports. Although I think yes. between them and IMSA's official account, it's neck and neck. Yeah, I want to see those two fight over it, quite frankly. Um... I say we have them sumo wrestle for it um, between now and then. Anyway, second part of the doubleheader, we go over the wall to Mexico um, on October 29th, if it hasn't been built by then, which is actually quite likely, but still, who cares? Mexican Grand Prix, October 29th, home of fireworks and overly loud Sergio Perez cheers, of course. Who doesn't love that? Um, great podium, by the way. That, 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 that spectacle is awesome. Uh, yeah, a couple of weeks after that, we have the Brazilian Grand Prix, of course, at Interlagos on November the twelfth, and the season wraps up. Yay! Everybody's favorite Grand Prix and season finale, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix at Yas Marina on November twenty sixth. This season is exactly eight months long to the day. Yo, this this season is very very long. Also, between uh, the hopes of of Ferrari fans in Italy, the hopes of Honda supporters at Suzuka. And the hopes of Red Bull fans in Austria. How likely are we to see any one of these teams actually win between Ferrari, McLaren, Honda, and Red Bull at their respective home tracks? One. Mercs. End the discussion. Oh, wait. There's no German Grand Prix. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, so the German Grand Prix has now reverted back to a European Formula 3 event. This makes me sad. 
Yeah. yeah. So basically, basically, what I'm gonna do for the German Grand Prix is just score all the German rounds of European <laughs> Formula Three, and whoever scores the most points is the 2017 German Grand Prix champion. I believe it was Felix Rosenquist who won in 2015. I did. I did this on the F1 Feeder Series subreddit when I realized, oh, F1's not gonna have a German Grand Prix. Hmm, might as well just revert it to European F3, and it actually caught on. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, there'll be three German rounds of the European Formula Three Championship, which in total will consist of nine events across the Norris Ring, Nurburgring, and Hockenheim Ring. Sounds good to me. Um, it's a shame we haven't got a full one round there anymore, otherwise I wouldn't be able to charge 600 quid a ticket for it, but hey. <laughs> but let's go Mick. Mick Schumacher for 2017 German Grand Prix winner. Lit. <laughs> I'm down. I'm here for this. I'm pretty Quite sure right, RJ's but... rooting for uh, the Mikado. Yep. Makino, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, giving him, I'm giving him a fair chance with high tech. Realistically, yeah. I think it's going to be Matt Gunther. Because uh, that experience and that Prima, pre, OP Prima advantage. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. He's with the OP Prima team, as is Mick and also the Brit Callum Elliott. So he's your insert Lewis Hamilton replacement. Unless yep. you wanted that replacement to be Harrison Newey, because Harrison Newey is also there. But on a different I, team. He's not at Prima, so yeah. I approve of Harrison Newey, only for surname <laughs> reasons. Okay. Yeah, it, have to it, stick it together. So it would be so messed up if Harrison Newey and Jordan King ever got on a team. They're just <laughs> you all the time. Oh, and Alex Lynn as well. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> that would be amazing. Right, let's look at the let's look at the grid itself. So, gentlemen, I will leave it to you. Which order do we want to go in? Bottom to top or top to bottom? Bottom to top, because we get to see which team... The, well, the audience gets to see which team we think is at the bottom. So, Well, I can tell you now. Drum roll, please, in the audience. Somebody? Anybody? Delightful. That's all you get. RJ... RJ, yeah, RJ's written Salba at the bottom of the bottle. <laughs> this is this is all just going off last year's World Constructors Championships. It's not really how we feel that the season is going to pan out. But we you lie! For, for continuity's sake. For continuity's <laughs> sake. I promise I'm not downplaying Salba. I'm overly protective of them, damn it. I still don't think they're going to do that well. <laughs> Ever the voice of reassurance, our R.J. O'Connell. Right. Uh, so we're going to read his delightful notes for each team as we go up the field as well and then talk about it further. So, and so also, far. also, I have Autosports predictions for this year open. Unfortunately, Ooh. they only list their top ten drivers and Sovereign don't have any drivers in their top ten. So, Well, I, well, I for one, am shocked at this news. Um <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's read our day's delightful tag notes here for Sauber F1 Team Festival. Of course, their team, Marcus Ericsson, sticks around for his third season, I want to say, in Formula... Uh, fourth season, he was with Caterham in 2013, wasn't he? says his fourth season in Formula 1 now. God, Marcus has been around for a while. Uh, yeah, Marcus Ericsson retains his seat there, and he's now alongside new boy Pascal Verlein after moving from the Manor team last year. Sauber celebrates 25 years in Formula 1 this season, and the last few of them have been a bit difficult... 2017 may be no different. See? Optimism from Mr. O'Connell. Nevertheless, they persist with new investment from Longbow Finance and the addition of highly rated Mercedes protege Pascal Verlein to join the steadily improving Marcus Ericsson. Um, well, boys, let's cut to the chase. 
Are these guys going to be at the back? They may very well likely be at the back this year. Um, the 2016 Ferrari power unit does provide them some reliability. They are at least making gains on the chassis part of things. So their best hope is to start off strong with like maybe like some sort of crazy double points finish like they had in Australia a couple of years back. Yeah, but 2015. Over the course of the season, it's going to be very questionable over whether or not that old Ferrari engine is going to have the pace. It let Toro Rosso down at some points, and they had a much better chassis and a whole lot more resources than Sauber do now. It's not exactly reassuring. Again, we, we, we saw this story last year with Toro Rosso, and Carlos Sainz had a driver of the year contender year in spite of the power unit that they had there at Toro Rosso, which they were not allowed to develop using old parts, obviously, and that ended up becoming an anchor for them later on down the season. But uh, Marcus Ericsson gives me some hope. Like, I am genuinely impressed at how Marcus Ericsson improved last year. And it, I feel bad for him because Felipe Nazar was the hero who got the points in Brazil, even though he'd been thoroughly outraced by Marcus pretty much all season long beforehand. And so I feel, I feel a bit bad for Marcus in that whoa, regard. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You shouldn't you should feel too bad because which of the two are currently on this on this preview that, we talk, that we're talking about? Yeah, Nazar doesn't <laughs> even have any racing plans which is very, very sad. But I, I awesome. agree. I'm, in, I'm impressed by Marcus Erickson. I thought that Nazar, when he when the team was formed back in 2015, I thought Nazar was just going to crush him. Yeah. It didn't turn out like that. Erickson's just been getting better as better as time goes on. Fringe prospect uh, turned fairly serviceable driver. He still needs to prove that he can score points on a regular basis. And with Verline joining on, you know, it's – it's going to be another situation where it looks like on paper, Verline is going to get the bulk of the team's results. He's going to win the qualifying battles hand over fist and mm-hmm. maybe outrace him for most, if not all, the season. Yeah, it's, 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 that's like, go, go. yeah, it's like, I, I think it's going to be pretty neck and neck between him and Verline because, I mean, yeah, you got Verline's a good, a pretty decent driver. And I'm like, I think his year at Manor probably took a bit of the shine off of Airline because I think it we did. should re- realize that the Manor is pretty much, you know, a Manor. And Verline has the talent to be, you know, a future race winner given the right equipment. But I think you're saying that Erickson will thrash him in qualifying and race. No, I think think Verline is going to have... I think on paper, Verline should have the advantage in head-to-head form. Now, whether it pans like that out like that is a a whole other story because Verline's qualifying pace, not even that much better than Rear Harianto, who we kind of panned for a lot of last season. Um, Verline's strength is in his racecraft. Also, Sauber have been known to get testy before with Nazar and Erickson last season. Just seen Monaco. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. are are any of you concerned about Pascal Verlein's preseason injury suffered at the race of champions that caused him to miss one of the preseason tests? A little bit, because he's barely driven these new cars, and they're apparently radically different from last year in the sense of, you know, obviously a lot more aerodynamics, a lot, you know, a lot more downforce, more mechanical grip. That's going to take some getting used to unlocking the potential of these new cars, and. Pascal's got a lot less runtime compared to 
Marcus Eriksson. So that will be interesting to see how that factors in. Pascal might be a bit rusty to start the year, to say the least, given the back injury and, like you say, the lack of run time as well because he missed the first test. Um, I think this is this is a make or break year for both of them. I think I think this is going to be a really interesting head to head matchup between. Ericsson and Verline as King drops the hammer in the background to uh, to mark the occasion. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but um, I think it's like I talked about this on Bike Live before. I talked about how like, Yamaha was the was the key battle between riders in case it was it was Alex Lowe's and Michael Vandermark, both guys that are young, talented, and had a lot of shine on them. But both guys that kind of need a dominant matchup win over another guy because. Lowe's lost out to Gintoli last year at the Yamaha team, despite Gintoli missing time with the high side. I think it's the same deal here, where Verline, this is going to be year two for him, and, you know, Esteban Ocon, as we'll get to later, is in a very, very nice-looking seat indeed. He's going to get a lot of the shine if Force India are good this year, which is likely. Verline being being potentially in the second worst, or maybe the worst team in the field again for the second straight year, it's hardly going to raise his stock unless he's spectacular, and that could right. be a problem. Right. <laughs> Success for Pascal Verline would be if he performs the way that Jules Bianchi did in his two-season at Marussia over Max Chilton. He's going to need to consistently outqualify Marcus Erickson. And he's going to probably need to sneak into the points a couple of times, which he did in a matter of last year at Austria. Do not forget. Yep. He did indeed. Again, that 10th place at uh, Austria, but he scored Manners one and only point for the year. So, yeah, it's uh, like Pascal is good. I just think he's the victim of circumstance here. I mean, going from one bottom feeder to another bottom feeder is not going to help him impress when. Especially when it seemed like the shoe in candidate to replace one Nico Rosberg. Yes, even when the other guy in the Young Academy is going to be in a car capable potentially of podiums, that could be a problem. So, um, yeah, so overall, we're not particularly high on Slabber by the sounds of it. Maybe Marcus Ericsson will, will, will salvage some points. He's got a bit to prove. Still, both of these guys have got a bit to prove still. And maybe that will be the motivation that can get them over the line. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. But, uh, Wish Salba the best. It's, it was nice to see Manisha Kelton in the back actually smiling during preseason testing. Um, it's it's a positive. At the very least, their car looks beautiful. It's a bit. I, 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 have, I have a soft spot for the colors blue and gold. It, it looks like the, it looks like the blue. Fal- it looks like the Falcon from F Zero. So I'm here for yes. this. Yes. So I, I am here. I am here for the for the Captain Falcon mobile. Quite frankly. Um, so yeah. Come on, Salva. Let's get some points. Let's let's not be at the bottom this year. That would be nice, um, because that they'll be the biggest victims of Manor's departure if, as a result, they end up being at the bottom of the field and getting no constructors' money, which would be a real bummer. Oh, actually, no. no, to no, be no fair, yeah. they, they will because because there's ten teams now, not rather than eleven. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, well, well, well spotted there, King. <laughs> You're about to correct me on that yeah. one. Um, so let's move on to the Renault team, Renault Sports F1, and. Uh, Kevin Madison is out. We'll get to him in a minute. But uh, Jolian Palmer retains his seat from last year, much to the amusement of F1 fans everywhere, especially me after cracking certain Twitter jokes at Mr. Palmer. Um, um, It's where they get a foot on the opposition, so to speak. Uh, But he's joined by a new teammate, and that is former Force India and Salva driver and Mr. Can't Score a Podium to Save His Life. Nico Hulkenberg has joined him, which is like, everybody was like, hmm. It's a good hire. Um, And funnily enough, Hulkenberg is listed as ninth in the Drivers' Championship 
in the driver's championship in auto sports Ooh. predictions. Yeah. So so they think they think Renault will be so good, Hulkenberg will be capable of cracking the top ten. Yeah, good enough that Hulkenberg will finish ninth, but Renault would be outside the top five in the constructor championship. So they think Hulkenberg's gonna carry the ship here, basically. He's gonna mm. put the team on his back. He's done that before. See Salba, 2013, for more information on that one. Um, but here's RJ's notes on the situation. He goes, chalk 2016 up as a as a rebuilding year at Renault. But 2017 is the year the Enstone's finest must deliver the goods. There's new management at the top, um, a new lead driver in Nico Hulkenberg, and a little continuity with the returning Jolian Palmer. Yet, despite this and some decent test results, there's still skepticism over whether or not Renault can hang with their factory rivals in 2017. Yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest issue here, is that the other factories are just so far ahead right now. Even McLaren, who, as we've as we've kind of shitposted on them over 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 time, like they're the team that um, you know we laugh at, but they still finished was it seventh overall last year. They were sixth in the World Constructors Championship. There you three go. clear places ahead of Renault, who apparently don't even have as big a budget as Red Bull does, which doesn't surprise me in the least. No um, turnover, turnover at the top. Carlos Ghosn is going to be out as CEO of the Renault-Nissan group at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, Frederick Vasseur left the team due to philosophical differences between how he felt the team should be progressing and how Renault felt the team should be progressing. So it's now split up between Cyril Abitable and Jerome Stoll, who are now going to serve as the team principals at Renault Sport. They're one of the many teams that has just decided, yeah, let's just divvy up the team principal duties between a couple people. Because it worked well for Mercedes. Yeah, it works. You know, the, the two-man team, the the, 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 the the dream team combination coming in there. Yeah, uh, and shout out. Autosport themselves are very, very mixed on Renault. On one hmm. hand, they feel that Renault's better than last year. They'll start off slow, but they'll improve as the season goes on. But the dissenting view comes from uh, Stuart Codling, their executive edit- editor, where it says, in reference to Hulkenberg, his tireless commitment to backing the wrong horse continues. Chose Renault <laughs> because he wanted to work with Frederick Rousseau, knowing Fred was being maneuvered out of the door. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh... <clears throat> Yeah, in case you didn't know, Frederick Vasseur was Nico Hulkenberg's team principal when he won the GP2 Series title in 2009. To date, he is still the last true rookie to win what is now the Formula 2 championship. Um, I, I saw Renault get up about near the top of the testing boards, and it gives me some confidence that they can do well. Um, but as I, as I noted in my notes, it's it's tough to really see them being as committed and having and just making the huge leap forward to contend with the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari. Like that just, that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, We've seen how difficult it is with McLaren. Yeah. I think I agree with um, most of this auto sport panel where they said that they won't be race contenders, but the fact that they can develop the car like much more thoroughly to their midfield rivals as a factory team, that they'll probably end up at the very top of the midfield by the end of the season. Yeah, let's recall that in 2016, they had to basically work with what was a Lotus chassis designed on a budget of about 40p. Yeah. And a pack of (laughs) M&Ms. So they are already... So we knew that 2016 was going to be a big rebuilding year for them. Um, This is the year where they got to step up and deliver results. 
and especially Nico Holgerberg, who has had, who, let's remember, Juan Lamont his first attempt, but is still looking for his first Formula One podium and is coming perilously close to breaking Adrian Sutil's record of the most Formula One starts without a single po- podium finish. Bold it's not prediction. like he hasn't come... <laughs> hell, he almost won a race at Force India at the end of 2012. So he's come close a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, and you know he's going to be good for consistently getting points finishes on the board. It's just whether or not he can get that piano off of his back um, getting onto the podium. For those guys that don't know, I've described Nico Hulkenberg before as that 7 out of 10 person on your favorite sitcom who always should get the girl but never does and it's always the main protagonist who's always a douchebag like they end up getting the hot chick and Hulkenberg's left for the sloppy seconds that's the kind of deal that Hulkenberg has got here he is the 7 out of 10 guy and shout out to King's old podcast partner Athlete VG for this gem but if the friend zone was a Formula 1 driver it would be Nico Hulkenberg and (laughs) and he is a great driver, a guy that can easily lead a team. He's, we've seen him do it before at Sauber and at Force India. He's a he's a great driver. I'm just not sure that Renault is going to be good enough where we're thinking top six finishes because that's kind of where you need to be to have an outside chance of a podium. And I, I can't go that far with Renault as a team to think that they'll suddenly jump up eight or nine spots on no, the grid to suddenly would, be a top would, contender. That's like, that's like Braun GP 2009 levels of that could possibly never happen not with no. the amount that mercedes and ferrari willing to spend compared to renault who like, have a very tight budget for a factory team let's not forget yes. really the, the hope for hulkenberg is that with the with the way that these new cars are you can lean on them more you can supposedly push more during races they're a bit more physical they might suit hulkenberg's style a bit better so too might they suit jolly and palmer who um, Big man. strong at the end of the season at least, but was largely derided as an uninspired decision when he came on board. Mm-hmm. People are not expecting the best out of Jolene Palmer. Like, they're not expecting Lewis Hamilton, although although knowing <laughs> Sky Sports, they will probably hype up all of his ninth and 10th place finish as the greatest ninth and 10th place finishes that have ever been achieved in the history of Formula 1. Of course, you know, it's Jody and Palmer, all aboard the, all aboard the Lewis Hamilton Lucky Brit, Jolene Lucky Palmer. Brit, that's the one. Lucky Brit, that's, the, that, that's perfect right there. So, for me, I think a realistic aim for Renault should probably be regular points. But given where they were last year, if they can get into the points on a semi-regular basis, like McLaren was last year, if they can get that and maybe think about maybe a top six spot, I think that would be an ideal, like, realistic target for Renault, but they're going to want more than that, aren't they, given they're a factory team with a big reputation in Formula 1. They're going to want more than that, but Rome wasn't built in a day, or in this case, Enstone wasn't built on Carmen Jordan's money, um, so to speak. I mean, I mean, King, how are you feeling about this as a team? As a team, uh, I'd say... catch. I would say catch them, get a podium... In 2018, after mid-season 2018. <laughs> Optimistic, is I think there's a phrase there, yeah, right, King? Uh, to say the least, but, um, oh, jeez. I'll have to wait and see how that, how that rolls out. But, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing how that goes down in the end. Um, right, moving on. Let's go into last places, I want to say, where they, they finished eighth overall, didn't they, Haas? So, yeah, Haas yes. F1 team. 
the Americans are here, and Romain Grosjean sticks around for, for, for another season with, with, with Haas, signed one-year extension in the middle of last year, the star man of last year, and alongside him instead of Esteban Gutierrez, who's now just signed for T-Cheetah in Formula E full-time for the rest of the season to replace, yeah, to, to replace uh, Mark Winghart. Um, so shout out to Esteban for that one. Good luck to him over there. Replacing him is former Renault driver Kevin Magnussen. Is joined over there. The 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 the, the Dane and the Viking smile himself. Um, America's team burst out of the gates in their maiden season of 2016, and despite fading down the stretch, they still had the best season of, all, of an all-new constructor in over 25 years. Romain Grosjean returns for his second season, but he must up his game this year with the arrival of Renault XR Kevin Magnussen. Will the dreaded sophomore slump strike Haas in 2017? Um, it's an interesting one because Haas, again, as you say, they started an incredible, incredible start to the season. Sixth place in Australia, fifth in Bahrain, eighth, I think it was, in Russia. So three points finishes to start the year in the first four races and they never really got back to that kind of platform again for the rest of the year overall. But um, King... So it tells about your mans. Yeah. Oh, my mans. Well, uh, Jonathan Noble, who is uh, Motorsport.com's uh, Formula One editor who ended up in this Autosport roundtable, well, he said that um, Ferrari has made good gains on their engine with Haas with experience under, his, under its belt. Ex- expect some decent headline-grabbing results from Grosjean at several races, and I agree with him. I think we could see Grosjean get maybe... A handful of top six finishes this year because I'm, I feel confident in Haas this year. I think Grosjean can get a sixth place or a fifth place at some races and really turn some heads. Well, that's the thing. Be, yeah, don't, I don't, wouldn't don't, be surprised don't. if um, I wouldn't be surprised if Romain Grosjean got up at the podium a couple of times. The key here. Whoa, whoa, whoa! The key here, though, is going to be whether or not Haas can consistently finish up in the points to at least hold on to eighth place in the World Constructors' Championship. They had three point-scoring finishes uh, to start the 2017, 2016 season in the first four races. They only had two for the remaining, I want to say, 17 races that came mm-hmm. afterwards. A seventh in Austria and a tenth in the USGP. And thank goodness they did in America. And also it was just <laughs> one person scoring all the points. Esteban Gutierrez was also a bit unlucky, though you can argue that he also might not have had that extra 10% to hang at the Formula One level. But you won't get that excuse from Kevin Magnussen, who is a proven point scorer in his time at McLaren and at a Renault that was not all that great, as we just discussed. You mean Russian 2016 driver of the day, Kevin Magnuson, Mr. Yes, well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Gary Anderson had some interesting things to say about Kevin Magnuson. He oh, says, I bet he did. He said, <laughs> when he puts the maximum, maximum effort in, he can get results, but sometimes he seems a bit lazy. This is his last chance, so he needs to shrug off that impression and just get on with it. If he does this, he'll be a, he'll be a breath of fresh air to Haas, since he doesn't seem to do the public moaning that Grosjean does. Someone needs to tell Grosjean mm. you shouldn't display your dirty laundry in public. He makes uh, a point there, and the point I was going to make about Grosjean is that he always seems like he's the sort of driver who is as good as his car. Um, yeah. If the car is great, Grosjean tends to be great. If the car is bad, we sure as hell hear about it. Yeah, um, just see all of 2014 for a perfect example of how bad things <laughs> can get if Roman Grosjean does not have the equipment under him. 
Yes, he seems to be the sort of guy that is directly at the level of his car. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but not necessarily a good thing either. It's it's, it's kind of on the knife edge on that regard. But uh, I'm going to be curious to see how this rolls out. But I must admit, they were the biggest surprise of testing to me, that, that Haas were constantly in the top five throughout the tests. Like, Haas could be the best of the independent teams if if they can get their shit together throughout the whole season. There's if potential you, in these guys. if you consider, guys. like, an official Ferrari B team, um, mm. you know, being a, a truly independent, like, if... If Haas were anything other than Haas, they would be Alfa Romeo in a sense. Yes. Yes. Yes, pretty much. And it's just America because it's Haas. You know, make the jokes yourselves. But it's one of those things. Monster trucks, bald eagles, assault rifle. A Delara chassis. (laughs) Delara chassis. Sarah Connors being a fan. Um, (laughs) It's as America as it gets, quite frankly. But... um, yeah, like I said, they were the big surprises of testing for me. And you said podiums, RJ, oh, and I, I think that's a little bit too high an expectation, but I think Kings is a little bit more reasonable. I think top sixes are definitely on the table if they can get... I mean, let's put it this way. We'll talk about them in a minute. If Ferrari are good, Haas will be good too. And that's one that is definitely worth a watch. But um, yeah. for me... Looking forward to seeing how Haas gets along. Grosjean is a, is a good guy leader team. If the car is good, Grosjean will be right up there. I'm, I have no question about that. And Magnussen is a still a little bit inconsistent, but a good yeah. scorer when he wants to be. So, yeah, I think Gary Anderson actually made a fair point. I think Magnussen is inconsistent, but on his day, he can be as good as anybody. So Yeah, I mean, McLaren were very keen to get him up, but they were also very keen to just dump him at the first chance they got, which is... Which is a bit of a shame that it's starting to play out like he's emulating the F1 career of his father, Yen, who had bucket loads of talent, but just never could capitalize on it. Very much so. And again, this does seem like it could be last chance, certainly for Kevin Magnussen, because, I mean, hashtag never give up on the dream. He's always fought for elements like this, and, you know, he was lucky to get a second chance in the first place, quite frankly. So the fact that he's back here is good for him, but... He's not going to get a third chance if this doesn't work out, I don't think. So, we'll have to wait and see how this goes. But I'm looking forward to seeing Haas and seeing how they get along. Right, moving up one spot to Scuderia Toro Rosso. And uh, the first retained lineup as we move up the grid. Carlos Sainz and Daniel Kvyat stick around for another year. So, here's, uh, here's RJ's notes on the situation. He goes, with arguably the best-looking car and two of the best drivers under the age of 25... Toro Rosso going to 2017 with Tag Heuer tuned Renault Power and a renewed confidence. Carlos Sainz Jr. was impressive throughout 2016 and continues to make his case for a top flight team. And with seemingly nothing left to lose, Daniil Kvyat wants to prove that he's still got what it takes to compete in Formula 1. This, let, let's talk about the, the drivers first, because I think Toro Rosso, there will always be in or around the mid-tier mix, given their situation, and Renault is, you know, a development engine. You know, they, again, if Red Bull are good, they'll be good too, etc., as well as the gorgeous livery. God, that livery is gorgeous. It's, anyway. It's great. It's great. But uh, I think the biggest element to talk about here is we, we know Carlos Sainz is going to be fantastic. He's a superb driver, probably the most underrated driver in the field, quite frankly. But Daniel Kvyat, that's where it could be interesting because Kvyat, we've seen bad Kvyat and we've seen very, very good Kvyat. I'm not sure which one we're going to get this year, but this could be the real make or break year for Kvyat, couldn't it? Yeah, right. We all thought, a lot of us thought on multiple occasions that he was done 
done with this sword at the end of 2016. I thought so. Dre thought so. King mm-hmm. probably thought so. But I think I think this year, you know, now that he doesn't have that pressure of now that he, I think the pressure is a little bit off of him. You know, he's basically racing with nothing left to lose, as I had said. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the pressure's off of him, and he could probably go back to being the sort of driver that he was in his rookie year with Toro Rosso and his sophomore year at Red Bull, because there were legitimate flashes of brilliance from Danny Kafia at Red Bull in 2015 in the early parts of 2016. Absolutely. I mean, the flashes were there. He outpointed Daniel Ricciardo in 2015. That is something that we don't talk about, we don't talk about enough, and people wanted to cape hard for Ricardo because he's Daniel Ricardo. But Kvyat outpointed him in 2015, and he had many great moments in there as well. Multiple podiums, the, the penultimate race before he lost his Red Bull seat was a third-place finish in China where he stood up to Sebastian Vettel, and he was the hero of the internet for a week until Russia happened. Oh, dear. But um, in any case, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Kvyat. I've, I think... the. The talent is definitely there, and Kvyat could be as good as anyone on his day. Again, I've said this about Madison too, but Kvyat is kind of in the same mold here. King, is there too much emotional damage with him, like with, with the Red Bull chop? That is, is he salvageable at this point? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure either. Well, they're, they had signs finishing 10th in the championship. They don't have Kvyat on the list. And like the consensus wow. with all the contributors on Autosport is that uh, the Toro Rosso would definitely be an improvement on last year's car. They, they yes, even absolutely. They like, even the, hint at maybe signs getting a podium, but in all scenarios, signs will outscore Kvyat. And that's no that's no shame to Kvyat yeah. because, as we've said, Carlos Signs is fantastic and has been for the last couple of years. Yes, absolutely. Again, like King was pushing very hard for the for the Motorsport 101 award for driver of the year for Carlos Sainz, and he very nearly convinced me on that one. I was the casting vote on that one. I very nearly went that way. Sits. Um, we had three sits place finishes last year. He had a total of one, three, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten points finishes in 21 races in a Toro Rosso that was clearly starting to lose steam by the end of the year because. Again, they were suffering with a year-old Ferrari powertrain that they could not develop. This year, they basically have um, basically the Renault power plant, but with the extra expertise of Tag Heuer slash Ilmore slash whoever, whoever yeah. the heck is They, they, they pretty much have the tip of the spear Renault engine. Right, and also right. they and also they've got the design expertise of James Key, who I feel is the second is probably the second most talented uh, technical director in the sport behind only Adrian Newey and maybe the Mercedes crew as well. Like, his designs are fantastic. If mm. you've seen what he did with Sauber in their 2012 car, just mm. as he was getting out mm. of the team. And his designs with Toro Rosso have been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a nice that's a nice weapon to have in your arsenal. But uh, Toro Rosso, are we thinking similar sort of deal to maybe Haas, where maybe Sainz can sneak in the top six on occasion if everything goes his way? You know, with minor points finishes the rest of the way? Could it be that with Carlos Sainz? Yeah, I I think it's going to be tete-a-tete with uh, Haas and the and the Toro Rosso team, that they're probably going to be the rivals to each other out there this season. Makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. I think that there will be a point 
at one point during the season where Carlos Sainz will come tantalizingly close. He won't do it, but I think he will come very close to winning a race this year. Mm. I see, I see like a podium. Lead, leading some laps. I, I definitely see a podium finish. I see quite a few top fives. I don't see a win, but I see a scenario where he could come very close to stealing one. I, I, I see a lot of optimism in the RJ O'Connell camp. It's crazy. Like like I, I loved I love the optimism, RJ, I really do. I can't go that far on Carlos Sainz, but I think top six is definitely on the on the table if everything goes to plan. I have not been this high on a on a Spaniard with big floofy hair <laughs> in, in a number of years. <laughs> hey, speaking of which McLaren Honda that other one. McLaren Honda. Oh boy. Okay, okay. So neither driver made their top ten on Autosport. So I'm shocked. They there's uh. a, there's an honorable mention section which McLaren Honda is in, so they do talk about that. Okay. So McLaren Honda. Um, Fernando Alonso sticks around for what is, I believe, his so I want to say 16th, no, 15th season in Formula 1 because he missed 2002. But this is his 15th Formula 1 season, Fernando Alonso. I think he's going to be in that 300 club by the end of next year. But um, Fernando Alonso alongside replacing Jensen Button, who is on a quote-unquote break in the same way that, like, friends talked about breaks. Uh, um, the same way that um, Mika Hakkinen went on a break and he finally, <clears throat> and he finally returned this year. <laughs> Hakkinen <laughs> finally returned to McLaren this year. Yes, he's he's a brand ambassador for McLaren. <laughs> he's on Twitter now and everything. The sabbatical <laughs> is finally over. <laughs> he's back, you guys. Who doesn't love Mika? But replacing Button, who's on a break is Stoffel Van Dorn finally making his full F1 season debut after filling in in Bahrain for Alonso's rib injury and generally being a McLaren young draft since the beginning of time. Test improved bleak for McLaren in the third year of their revival with Honda. Fernando Alonso in the twilight of his sterling career may not need to be worried so much over whether or not he has a card that can compete for victories again, but over the possibility of being upstaged by Stoffel Van Dorn, who makes his long-awaited full-time debut in Formula 1. Are McLaren and Honda fated to race to the cellar in 2017? If you look at the testing results, um, yeah, it <clears> didn't look good. It did not look good. They are they're hurting for reliability more so than pace, but the pace isn't there either. And that's the odd thing, considering at one point they talked about having more horsepower than the Renaults. Yeah, like... So they've taken steps oh back. Oh, God, yeah. Like, Autosports Grand Prix editor Ben Anderson, he's trying to be so optimistic, but he's, like, leaning towards ringing that death knell where he says, McLaren Honda will take too long to become competitive to trouble the top midfielders ultimately, but Fernando Alonso and Stoffel Van Dorn will back some decent results in the later part of the season when they're not hampered by grid penalties. Oh, man. That's scathing. Oh, dear. Um, I mean, let's talk about it now, because the, the rumors have popped up in the news since we last recorded. But... There's rumors going around that, that Zach Brown might be thinking, let's walk back to Mercedes with our tail between our legs. Could that be a thing? I it mean, might be the safest option for them, but, you know, it, it, it's just so, invested mm, so much. Yeah, it, it's safe in the short term, but in the long term, that doesn't lead to a title when you're still, you know, being a supplied team. Yeah, it, that's, the, that's the problem. I said, I mentioned it on my 30 for 30 talking about McLaren and. 
like I actually like, I can't believe I'm admitting this as a Ferrari fan, but I actually kind of feel sorry for McLaren because they're the biggest victims of this era in terms of hybrid issues, Honda playing catch up, and just a brand who evaluates itself on major championships. You know, and remember they haven't had one since 2008 when Lewis Hamilton won the driver's title. If you're talking about constructors, their last one was 1998. We're coming up to 20 years since McLaren's last constructors' championship. And they're going to be getting desperate. And like you say, even if if they went back to Mercs, they're not winning. Like, look at 2014. They were barely a top eight car when the car was working when when McLaren were being powered by Mercedes as a, as a supplier again, and that was a problem. They, they're they not going to win as a customer. So I get why they went to Honda, but Honda were always two years behind on engine development compared to the others. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place. And Yeah, and, and, and we're in the situation where they said, oh, they can catch up because there's no longer an engine freeze, but it's there's no longer an engine freeze for everyone. Yeah, everybody can develop now. So the, the goalposts will just keep moving forward with the big teams too. So Your lone uh, optimism th- is just to remember, hey, Honda made Osimo. <laughs> oh, they can do anything. They can do anything. They powered the MP44, which is why everybody was expecting them to be competitive right out of the box. Yeah. I said that it was a win-now move when you – Shut it off, Absolutely. Magnuson, and brought in Fernando Alonso and had a veteran team with oh this my. brand new engine I, I supplier. Still, they were supposed to win now, and they didn't. I still remember the press release, and I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the episode that they did the driver unveiling, where they compared Button and Alonso to Senna Prost. Oh, oh, it's and this is why, like, I find it so hard to admit I'm sorry for McLaren when you're comparing Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button. A Hall of Famer and a Hall of Very Gooder to the the guys who I think are the third and fifth best drivers of all time. Yeah, the, the guys who ran away with it in the 88 season and made it a two-horse Honda McLaren race. Yay! That like That's the kind of brand we're at now with McLaren, but... Guys, I mean, first of all, before so we get into should it... I, yeah. Should I bust in and tell you that in the last 25 years, Mug and Honda have won more races at an engine supplier than Honda as a as a proper factory? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, in, I'm internally crying right now at this news. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, I think they had more just with Jordan's season in 99 alone, but, man, um, I say this looking into my closet... And knowing that my bright blue Fernando Alonso hoodie is in there, and I've been a supporter of his for 15 years, I don't know what to expect out of this season. I've I've just been expecting just to be impressed by top five finishes, top sixes, getting into Q3, which is what they were doing consistently by the end of the year, let's remind you. But now they've taken another step backwards. And I fear that it's going to be another situation like what happened with Alonso in 2007, where he had a rookie teammate who was giving him absolutely everything only this time it's not going to be competing for a world championship it's going to be competing just to probably stay inside the top eight in the constructors so guys they finished seventh last year higher or lower Um, was it last year higher or lower lower um put me down for put me down for lower yeah i i have it equal or lower it's either they're gonna they're gonna really either be somewhat they're gonna be under the the Toro Rosso Haas scuffle yeah 
I'm going to say lower. It's a full house for me. I think they're going to go lower. I think Toro Rosso and I think maybe Haas could could surprise them and give Russell their jimmies a little bit, basically. Um, so, but guys, at least we got Stoffel debuting, right? That's yeah, a plus. Stoffel oh. making his debut. Um, former Formula V8 runner-up. Fucking long overdue, may I add. <laughs> former GP2 Series champion. Came yep. closest probably to anybody to winning the title as a rookie since Hulkenberg until Giovinazzi showed up. Um, mm-hmm. Very impressive in Super Formula as well, despite having, surprise, a Honda power plant that is behind the curve of their nearest rivals at Toyota. He won two races last year with the Dandelion Racing Team, which was including the finale at Suzuka Circuit. Um, mm-hmm. Van Dorn was consistently their best driver out of the Honda stable on a race-to-race basis. And he could have easily won more races at that point. So we know he's good. And we know that Formula Sim Racing alumni Stoffel Van Dorn (laughs) has been overdue for his chance. Yes, Stoffel Van Dorn, another driver who got his start through sim racing pretty much. Well, bankrolling Uh, that with actual racing, but besides the point. Yeah, it won't won't be like the other Stoffel seasons, but hopefully this Stoffel season will, you know, thrill us a bit. Stoffel Season 2, Hybrid Electric Boogaloo. Let's go! Right. I've I've said that before, that there were so many times where other teams could have just picked him up from McLaren. And after they did that with Kevin Magison, I think they realized, like, right, we need to actually hold on to this guy, even if we were clinging on way too tightly. Um, In in Stoffel uh, Van Doren, I see the best chance for a Belgian world champion ever since the days of Jackie Itz and Thierry Boots and... Um, it's just not going to happen this year. Make no mistake about it. What about Dutch hell? What about our Dutch Belgian hybrid adoptive son? Um, <laughs> uh, we'll 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 talk about him in a bit. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to seeing Stoffel and seeing how he goes on for a full season. So into last year's top five, and uh, in fifth place last year, Williams Martini racing and. Uh, a, a very interesting offseason. We thought they were going to clear the decks. They did for a bit. And then it turns out that, oh, we kind of screwed ourselves of our contracts. Like, Felipe, could you do us a solid and, you know, bait us out for a year until Felipe now is old enough to come back? No? Yes? Yes? Thank God. Um, so, yes, like, Felipe Massa is back for one more year. The true Felipe Massa retirement year. And Lance Stroll, the young Canadian upstart, and Sarah Connor's new Maple son, alongside him, the recently turned 18-year-old. A chaotic off-season, to say the least, for Williams, but one that provides some hope for the future despite the team's recent decline. Paddy Lowe joins from Mercedes. European Formula 3 champion Lance Stroll makes his debut amidst controversy of his preparedness. And unexpectedly, Felipe Massa is back for another attempt at bowing out of F1 on top. What will 2017 bring for F1's second most successful constructor? This is going to be an interesting team to watch because, again, I don't know about you, but they looked really good in testing. Like, oh, they looked, they looked almost unsustainably good, but we know that the Mercedes power plant is there, and I do believe that the arrival of Patty Lowe, yeah, it's not going to pay dividends in like, until like several years down the road, but it almost felt like it was just a placebo effect to start out with. Like, man... That's really sure. energizing the team. And it seems mm-hmm. like Williams have got, like, it seems like to start the year at least, Williams have got a good car. The question is, of course, as it always is with Williams, who are no longer the the giant that they were 
in the in the nineties, back in the days of Prost, Senna, Hill, Villeneuve, and all them. Mansell, yeah. Is that yes? Is that they're is that they just they don't have quite the budget. Even with the Martini livery, they've struggled to just keep developing the car at the same pace as their nearest rivals around them. They slipped from third in the Constructors' Championship down to fourth, and now they were fifth last year, and some people were even expecting them to fall even further. I don't think that will be the case, but they're... I mean, Eva. They're, they're certainly good, looking good to start the season. It's whether or not they can finish out the year as strong I as mean, they do. I mean, that's what I noticed about Williams was that 2014, when the hybrids first came into play, the big surprise Williams turned themselves from one of the bottom feeders into a genuine top-tier team. Like, Williams have this knack of getting a good grasp of new regulations and starting out of the box strong. As you said, it's going to be a matter of can they develop down the road to keep up with the big three in front of yeah. them. It happened uh, It happened also in 2009 with the double diffuser wave. They were one of the first teams to jump on that, and for the first couple of races, Nico Rosberg looked good for wins. Um, didn't quite pan out like that. The less said about Kazakajima, the better. Mm. But hey, Rosberg had that. That was his breakthrough year in 2009. Oh, he had yes, multiple yes. podiums and top five finishes. So, yeah, Rosberg was one of the breakout stars of the year in 2009. So, yeah, Williams have a knack of getting the regulations right to start. It's going to be the long game with Williams, and that's how it always boils down to in the end. But, um, King, how are you feeling about Williams? Oh, about Williams, I. <clears throat> I feel like it's more of Williams is going to have a fairly complacent year. Nothing oh. nothing gives me hope that they're going to be the team, they're going to move up past, you know, uh, Red Bull or Ferrari. And it kind of, like, uh, Autosport has Felipe Massa 7th, and they have Lance Stroll as, you know, a uh, discussion point on the other section. But nothing... They they feel hopeful about Massa, and they feel also hopeful about Lance Stroll. They feel Lance Stroll has been, you know, trying too hard with the car, but they feel like once he gets comfortable, he's going to be a superstar. Right. He and, has incredible upside, as we've said before. He has mm. as many single-seater championships between Formula 4, Formula 3, and Toyota Racing Series as he has had seasons of single-seater racing the guy is good he represents the best hope for a canadian world champion since the days of Gilles and jack villeneuve the talent is there the talent is definitely there with lance it's a matter of whether we can put it all together but um guys anybody excited to see felipe massa back oh goodness it, it's tough to say because i feel like i feel like he looked rejuvenated right out of the box just like he did he in did. 2014 uh, the trouble is, like, ever since that 2014 season, he's been in a steady decline in terms of productivity. When he started out, he was giving Valtteri Bottas a sizable run for his money. By the Absolutely. end of 2016, Bottas was just beating the pants off of him on a week-to-week basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is obviously kind of an awkward situation because he was supposed to have retired. But I think he gets one more chance, and I think, crucially, he gets one more chance in a generation of cars that are supposed to be... Supposedly, in theory, kind of like the ones that he drove very early on in his career. He was, I know that before he announced his retirement, he was very keen in saying he would, he wanted to see these cars be more, be more aggressive, be more Absolutely. physical to drive. Um, so this might be, I will say this, if this should be Moss's last season, and if the car is to his liking, I think it will be a much better send-off than it was in 2016. 
I'm I'm inclined to agree. I think Felipe Massa could. I think he's got one more rejuvenated year in him before the wheels really fall off with Felipe. But yeah. um, I I still want Brazil 2016 back. Damn it! Yeah, what? like how it, could you do that to us, Felipe? In, in my mind, like all teams have a certain like limit to their performance. It's either the driver lineup or the car. And with Williams, I'm in the car camp. The driver, yes. like this is probably the best lineup that they could, you know, bring forward for this season. And to me, it's the car is not going to be bad. It's just that they're just not going to be able to compete with the guys they want to compete with. And it says a lot about Williams and how far they've come since 2014 that we're thinking of perhaps a fifth or sixth place as, as disappointment for them because, man, they were they were just hot garbage in 2011 oh. and 2013 in particular. Ooh. Yes. Oh, man. Smoking dumpster fire. Oh, boy. Rolling dumpster fire, as I like to say on the, on the Twitter. Uh, that, that was not pretty. But um, question. They were fifth last year. Higher or lower? I have them fourth. I, I, I have them fourth. I'm going to say they're going to stay where they are. Mm. What about you, RJ? Um, I think I think as well they might just stay where they are in fifth. King's optimistic. Mm, interesting. I, I think so, it has more to do with my feelings about Force India, but we'll get to that. Oh, we'll get okay. to them right now, in fact. Right about <laughs> now. Mercedes, our Nets team on the rundown. Yep, fourth place finishes last year and our team of the year last year, Sahara, Sahara Force India. Um, again, Sergio Perez sticks around for another year and alongside him is the talented Esteban Ocon, one of RJ's mans, of course. The, the Pink Panthers of Force India have one of the most serviceable young lineups on the grid. Joining tenacious stalwart Sergio Perez is Mercedes-AMG prospect Esteban Ocon, former Formula 3 rival of Max Verstappen. 2016 was a tremendous year for Force India with two podiums and fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Many expect that to be their peak, but as Force India have proven time and again, their best performances tend to come when the doubt around them is at their highest. King, I I see a wall approaching. I see a wall. (laughs) Bring on the wall! Bring on the wall! I I I think this is it, King. I think this is I think this is when Force India finally hit the wall. They yeah. surely can't top the big three now, can they? Yeah, they've improved every season since they've entered the sport. There's no way that they could finish higher than fourth. And I'm backing down on that sta- I'm back I'm double downing on that statement saying that they're gonna finish lower than fourth this year. Mm, so you have Force India and Williams switching spots. Yes. Um see, I still have Force India at least holding on to fourth place. Wow. Okay. Again, it's, I would, I I don't know. I I feel like there have been times where we've said that, man, Force India, they're they're done for, that they're they're, they're not going to survive to the next season, that they're not competitive anymore. And then they just turn around and impress us like they did in 2013, like they did in 2015, and certainly nobody expected them to be as good as they are in 2016. So as much as I would love... As much as I would probably be wise to suggest that, uh, I don't know, maybe this is the start of Force India's decline, I've been bit by this too many times before. I know that wall is coming, but for right now, I'm just like, let's just enjoy this while last, because this has been a while since we've had an independent team that's been this consistently competitive in a manufacturer-dominated era. Mr. O'Connell, can I ask you a question? Sure thing. 
How much do you say in that is down to the fact of who Sergio Perez's partner is? Um, I would. Well, here's the thing. I I rate both <clears throat> drivers. High. I rate both drivers very highly. Let's start mm-hmm. with Sergio Perez because yes. man, Sergio Perez has just come on like a rocket ship, as I would have predicted. Because he's still he'd only turns 27 this year. He's Jesus. still got plenty of years left ahead of him, and he's proven to be a very, very valuable point scorer on his day, especially when he's got the car underneath him. He has turned around his reputation from that one last season at McLaren that kind of had people souring on him a bit. But over the last three years, he's proven that he's probably the best He's probably the best value-for-money driver, especially for a team like Force Men- India. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on this team. Like, for me, I feel the wall is coming. Like, they can't possibly make a dent in that top three. And the longer they can't make a dent in that top three, you're going to have Williams, McLaren, Toro Rosso, and Haas sniffing at them as time goes on. Which is a shame, because I feel like, again, as as I completely agree with RJ, I think Sergio Perez is a top-tier driver. He just hasn't been given the chance in a top-tier car since that year at McLaren, which wasn't a top-tier car that year, ironically. No, it, it certainly was not. No, and um, a, a, a 22-year-old going up against Jensen Button was always going to end in disaster, if you ask me. But just, oof. I, I really hope I'm wrong here, because I, I think Force India is the little team who could have done a tremendous job the last two or three years. They've been amazing, given the circumstances they've been through. I'm not sure on Esteban Ocon. I think the kid is... Is I've not seen enough to really get behind him, but I really hope your your sentiment is right there, RJ. Yeah, he um, he got thrown into the deep end with a half season manner. Um, mm. His performances were a little bit under par, but in fairness, it's very hard to jump into the middle of a season the way Formula oh, One is when you don't when you don't have a chance to test. I mean, the That's most extreme example we saw of this was with Luca Batterer in two thousand nine at Ferrari. It is very <laughs> tough to jump into into the middle of the season and be productive. That's it's why situations like with Alexander Rossi at Manor in twenty fifteen, that was that was kind of just breaking the norm. We've seen drivers like Hecky Kovalainen struggle in injury duty. Yeah, but, it's the main but, reason you really don't see mid-season driver swaps anymore because you're almost guaranteed to get a worse outcome than sticking with the guy you got. Even like, even with yeah. a guy who is as highly rated as Esteban Ocon was in the junior formula categories, won the European it's, F3 yeah. title over Max Verstappen in 2014, then went to GP3 in 2015 and won it by the skin of his teeth in a great championship battle with Luca Giotto. Really, the only down, the, really the only misstep he's had in his career was moving to DTM in a move that really didn't suit him. But at mm-hmm. least he got to work with like F1 caliber engineering out of the experience, so it was. Probably a bit better than GP2, although the results results definitely didn't show that. But I think I think, and it may just be kind of like the the Verstappen effect playing on me. But I feel like he's he's got he's got the I feel like he's genuinely got the goods to compete, especially now that he has a car that's capable of consistently finishing the points. I think we're going to see more of the driver that Esteban Ocon has has the potential to be pretty much very interesting team to look out on indeed and of course the pink is glorious oh, oh long live the pink thank like, you bwt thank you thank you for this, thank you for this lavender livery 
dear Shebuff, if you release a pink version of Sergio Perez's 1x2 helmet, I will buy it, because I love pink. I'm, I'm trying to get Jensen Buttons from 2014 at Silverstone next. Not cheap, but um, I, I, do, I, do have a, I do have a thing for pink. It's one of my little secrets. I do love pink as a colour. So, uh, now yeah, we go move on to Dre's favourite part of the season review. The one where he talks about the team that has his favourite driver. The narcotic Scuderia Ferrari. Oh God! Do we have, can we skip this one? Do we have to talk about these guys? No, like, no, we we no. we, we do. We there is an upside though. Autosport seem fairly high about Ferrari. Where okay, their panel I'm has. Surprised they would. They're bankrolled by their. They're pretty much bankrolled by their by their biggest rival at McLaren. Yeah, and their nemesis. They. They list the top prediction for each driver, including their average one. So you get to see who everyone voted for for champion. And of the round table, let's see. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine people voted Lewis Hamilton would be champion. But we have three people voted for Sebastian Vettel as champion. Karun Shandok, Gary Anderson, and Scott Mitchell voted for Sebastian Vettel as being champion. And one person... um. Anthony Rowlandson voted for um, Kimi Raikkonen being champion. Dethroned that man immediately. What is wrong with him? <laughs> um, oh, jeez. Okay, let's. Okay, I'm, I'm going to put this off no longer. Scuderia Ferrari, a retained lineup of Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen. Things really can only get better by Ferrari standards after a year mirrored by bad breaks, some of which were self inflicted. They were quick in testing, quick enough to put a scare into Mercedes-AMG, but how real is that pace? Sebastian Vettel wants to get back to his championship winning ways, and Kimi Raikkonen is out to prove that he's still capable of carrying Ferrari up the order in the constructor standings, or even winning a race. We've seen them testing, we've seen yeah. the testing results, we know the pedigree of the two drivers. We saw what they could do last year, and we saw what they could do the year before. Hmm. But what kind of Ferrari are we going to get in 2017? I'll tell you this for nothing. Betting-wise, they're throwing money on Sebastian. For a fun fact, Sebastian Vettel was 16-1 to to win the championship before the test started. He's now 3-1. to mm. He's mm. second favorite behind Lewis Hamilton, who's even money. They think Ferrari have got a better car than Red Bull Racing do now. They think Vettel and even Raikkonen has been slashed from from thirty three to one to nine to one to win the title. Like Ferrari are now five to one to win the constructors. They have been slashed. People are throwing money on this. Well, I will. I I, I sit back and I go. Are you guys crazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, I think Karun Chandak's uh, uh, like comment on his vote is just hilarious, where he says the car is genuinely fast, and Sebastian has plenty of experience being in a championship fight. Besides, choosing Lewis is the easy option, and that, that's just not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like you, Karun. I like you. Um, yeah. uh, look, honestly, it's like. King, it's like I'm trying to fight every bone in my body to say this team's got a shot because, like, they people were gushing over this team in the tests. Raikkonen set the fastest overall lap of anyone during the entire test. He was the only man in the one eighteens. 
Um, they looked like they were giving Mercedes a run for its money. They looked very comfortable out there. They racked, they racked up a lot of laps. They were fast, and it, by by every assessment, they were holding back too. Um, they were slowing down in sectors a lot as well, and it, it put the Jiminy right up Lewis Hamilton saying, yeah, we think they're the favourites going into the season. How much of that is Lewis Hamilton being Lewis Hamilton? I don't know. Yeah, but gamesman- a little bit of that is gamesmanship. Of course. Man, man, they. I was surprised at how well they came out of the box as well. Um, yeah. My goodness. And remember, this is a Ferrari team that is gradually building the car more to Kimi Raikkonen's liking. This time it may not it may not just be an overt effort because Raikkonen again he's a driver that comes from that V10 era background so these these cars in theory should be more to his liking, right? And and Vettel again, is very adaptable as well. Yeah. Well, Extremely. according to both Grand Prix editors of Motorsport and Autosport, Anderson and Noble, they've said essentially the car is going to be fantastic. What Ferrari's What's going to be Ferrari's big sticking points this year is one, developing the car over the course of the season, and two, strategy, and I would say emphasize more strategy, strategy, because I think Ben Anderson's quote, where Ferrari will mess up his strategy, Vettel will lose the championship stuck behind Jolin Palmer's Renault in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> oh, to the love of Christ. Don't even give me that thought. Um, yeah, I Ferrari mean... driver stuck behind a Renault driver at Abu Dhabi. Never would imagine it. Can't even, <laughs> can't even imagine it. It's never happened before. I mean, just, RJ, you're not, like, upset by this or anything, are you? Nope. No? Nope. Wouldn't, wouldn't dream it. <clears throat> uh, oh, dear. Um, so, like, this is the part where everybody looks at me and in the corner. Me, the, the Ferrari masochist and Sebastian Vettel fan of the internet. <sighs> Do I think they'll win the title? Do I think they'll do it? Ugh. I want to believe. I really do. But part of me is like, this is the Ferrari narcotic. It's teasing you. That it wants you to back them only for you to let you down spectacularly in explosive fashion. Probably like Bahrain last year. Ugh. I don't know. I can't do it, King. I can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. I think they'll finish second. I think they. I think they've got a good car. I think they've really got a good car. Do you think, think Vettel will get back to winning races? We can at least compromise on that. Do you think your man Sebastian Vettel can go back to winning races like he did in 2015? I think we'll get a couple. You get a couple. I think. I think Mercs have always left the door open for a couple of races every season. It's always been a thing. Whether, whether self-inflicted or not, Mercs have had strategical blunders too. And they've left the door open. I mean, Ferrari had three or four decent chances at the start of last season to win a Grand Prix or two, and it just didn't quite happen for them. Thanks a bunch for that one in, in Canada and Austria, you guys. You bastards! Um, but, uh, Australia. Ah! Ugh, I'm sorry. Uh, but, um... Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I, if the strategists are not idiots and the car is good, I think Vettel will win a couple of rounds. I think it could be like last year. He won three in 2015. And Singapore, he was sensational that weekend. That qualifying lap was still one of my highlights of the year. Um, I think he'll win a couple of races. Whether he'll win the title... We've got to see what Mercs have got. How much? Like how much was Mercs playing possum during testing? We haven't seen what Merc. Like, like, 
did the Mercs we see, was that them at 100%? We don't know yet. And we know Ferrari were holding a little something back. I think it was obvious, given their lap times and how they were watching them in testing, they were, hold, they were holding back to an ex- extent. We don't know what Mercs were doing, and that's the big fear. Like, I fear that Mercs have kept half a second back, they're going to come out of straight and they're going to blitz everybody. And they'll be like, oh yeah, back to the drawing board, Hamilton style to lose. Ah, thanks for coming, everybody. When's Moto GP on? Um, and that's what I fear it could be, but... I am going to say, I'm going to say Vettel will finish third in the drivers. He'll win a couple of rounds and he'll be a driver of the year candidate in a decent Ferrari. But I don't think they'll win the title. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. Okay. I'm not. We're We're making positive steps. This is, this is a journey, not a destination. I am off this narcotic. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Red Bull racing. Let's, I'm moving on. I'm moving on quickly. Speaking Another of narcotics. <laughs> Red Bull racing with Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen. A retained lineup of halfway through last year. Um, the best young driver lineup in F1 combined with the expertise of some of F1's best designers, including Adrian Newey, and a formidable tag human tuned Renault power unit. Much is expected from jovial Aussie Daniel Ricciardo, young firebrand Max Verstappen, and the RB13 designed by Adrian Newey. Their expectations are set low for the start of 2017, however. Can they continue to be Mercedes' closest challengers? This was interesting because Max Verstappen, I saw him come out last week say, we're not in contention for wins at the start of the season. Like yeah. They said straight up, we're not in contention for pole position in Australia. So they yeah. said straight up, we're not there yet. We're not. We're not at the top of the pile yet. Well, yeah, Ricardo uh, even Ricardo was, even this, said Ferrari was Mercedes' closest challengers. So. And remember, this was the team that everybody was high on when they announced the 2017 regulations being independent because they have Adrian Newey in their back pocket designing their cars. And it's time. And it's, it's been proven time and time again. Adrian Newey, whenever the shift goes back to aerodynamics, he always seems to find a but way the to find a breakthrough. But the thing is, how much is Adrian Newey devoting to this while also working on Ben Ainsley Racing's America's Cup program? And yeah, King, he's one also thing, got to yeah. foot out the door. Yeah, and King, one thing I've got to add myself from my standpoint, from my two cents here, this is more of an engine formula still than a downforce formula, I believe. And, like, the power units are such a critical factor in F1 now, especially with these hybrid units. Uh, we saw it. Red Bull were crippled in 2014 when they came around because Renault was so bad it dropped Red Bull from second to fourth immediately. Well, sorry, from, the, from, the, from being champions to dropping down to, to third overall and then fourth overall in 2015. Like, they were they were mediocre until 2016 came around again. And yeah, I think the power unit has more of an influence than people think. People just saying, oh, it's going to be an aerosport and Red Bull will win again. That's not necessarily going to happen, especially because Renault still isn't a Mercedes, and that's part of the problem. But and, and Mercedes chassis isn't exactly you know chopped liver either. Uh, no, like Mer- Merck's is the complete package. You kind of have to be if you've won fifty one out of the last fifty nine Grand Prix. It kind of helps, but um, they have Daniel Ricciardo, who's in a contract year. That's worth kind of pointing out here. Ricciardo is in a contract year, and. He might be the best all-rounder in Formula 1 right now. And if Red Bull don't deliver him something this year, he could be the number one free agent on the block if Hamilton sticks around. And that could be interesting. Yes, it could. Remember, he won Malaysia last year um, in a in a close fight with Mats Verstappen for what we thought was going to be second place. 
until Lewis Hamilton's engine let go, and then it became a battle for the win. Absolutely, and that's that's how it that's how it was. And Red Bull is there to pick up the pieces when other teams around them fall. And again, Monaco, prime example. Ricardo had that race nailed on until Red Bull botched the pit stop. Verstappen had that win in Spain, and again has proven to be a real real aggressive driver not not afraid to contact not afraid of anything to, to get the job done in some cases so there's a lot to like about red bull as a unit but um they seem down like king are they playing possum in that red bull camp because they have a habit of playing possum a lot especially given christian horner is a, uh, is a guy that likes playing those games <laughs> no nah, i i think i think the the tone saying that they're there for third is genuine to be honest Wow, you really think so? Yeah. Have you got him third? Mm. Yeah, I got him third. I got him. Does third. Autosport have, does Autosport have him third? Uh, I've, I've, yeah, they I have him. Um, it'll be a close third. I don't think. It, I, you, I don't think it'll be. They'll be contending for second. Ferrari's not going to blow him out. Ferrari's not going to blow him out, in my opinion. No, I, don't, I think they'll be in there for sure. I think they'll be right. I think they'll be regular podium sitters. But I don't think they're going to win for the title by any stretch. I think. I've, I, Red Bull are a lot of things. They're not liars. So, yeah. if they genuinely think they're aiming for third, then that says a lot about where they've gotten to as an engine developer. They're still being yeah. held back by that to a degree. Yeah, Autosport has some third in the constructors, with their highest finishing driver being Ricardo with fourth in the champion in the drivers' championship. Yeah, split splitting the Ferraris. I'm guessing. Uh, yes. Thought so. Yeah, they have okay. they have Kimi sixth and Verstappen fifth. Yeah, um, Mats Verstappen won his debut race at Red Bull in Spain, and then only got only got one, two, three, four, five, six podiums afterwards. And Daniel Ricciardo easily had his measure throughout the rest of the season. So, yes, the big promotion for Mats Verstappen. We all knew it was kind of coming. We kind of didn't like how soon it came and under the circumstances, but he he provided immediate dividends and was fairly fairly competitive but i think last year also exposed some of the some of the rough edges particularly in his racecraft and in his qualifying game yes like people forget this verstappen was handily house handily beaten by daniel ricardo last year like let's let's not lose sight of that ricardo completely outclassed him to a to a, to a degree that should be a thing given ricardo's extra experience and that ricardo has been Nothing but stellar in a top tier car, pretty much his entire his entire top flight career, maybe outside twenty fifteen to a degree. But Verstappen has still got some work to do. He's he's not on that elite level yet for me. I think he needs another year to to start a, a true one on one fight of Ricardo to see where he's really at. And I think that could be another big talking point for the season. Just how good is this kid at this point in time? And seeing how the twenty year old Verstappen copes with. Again, the sort of guy he's going to have to beat if we're ever going to talk about world titles with Max. If you want to beat a world champion, you're going to have to beat a guy like Ricardo at some point. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. So again, Red Bull seemingly down in their camp right now, which is interesting for Red Bull. We'll see how that f- plays out in Australia. Yeah, I, I would have them for a couple of race wins this year. Sure. I think, I think yeah, I think both drivers will pick up at least one win this season. Um, I also do think that they're going to give away points to Ferrari and possibly slip down to a very close third. Interesting. We'll see. Okay. 
Let's talk about the juggernaut. Or as the words of Duke Nukem has it, the mother load. Mercedes AMG. And of course, a new lineup, Lewis Hamilton alongside Valtteri Bottas. And here's the here's the thing. Here it goes. Free time and defending F1 champions Mercedes look nearly impervious going into 2017. Lewis Hamilton is more motivated than ever to win his fourth world title and soar even further up the all-time record books, especially after a narrow championship defeat to the now-retired Nico Rosberg. Valtteri Bottas is a bit of an unknown quantity, despite success at Williams, but he's out to make the most of what could be his one and only chance at the top team in F1. It's interesting, to say the least. Um... And that's our show. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. And uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, always, um, it's always interesting with Mercedes, which is something you could. There's not always say a about story. Other do- dominate teams because mm. Mercedes, time and again, they leave points on the table, and somehow they come away smelling like a rose. It's true. They, they have a competitive mm. tilt between their two drivers. They have had for the last four years, but now it's going to be a different dynamic because. The conventional wisdom is that Lewis Hamilton is the clear-cut number one driver. Valtteri Bottas is going to play the Eddie Irvine slash Rubens Barrichello slash uh, Hanky Kovalainen role of the team. The clean-up role. The clean-up role. Clean up what? Clean up what your lead driver doesn't get. Um, it's going to again. With Mercs, there's always a story, and that's the fun thing about them as a dominant team. I put a column about this earlier, like late last year, talking about, listen, Mercs is one of the, is the most fun dominant team we've ever seen because they have a habit of, of, of shitting the bed on multiple occasions, and it's hilarious whenever they do. Um, yeah. and They let their guys race, um, much to <clears throat> prolonged health, uh, long-term health detractions of Mr. Total Wolf at the helm. Yeah, I and think, that's what makes them so fun. Yeah, I think this year for Mercedes, the story of Mercedes is probably going to be the story of Valtteri Bottas. Just how good is this guy? Basically, he's going to be the answer to the question. Is like he's going to come in. He's this is his first time with a true top tier car. This is going to be his first year competing for a championship. Inevitably, with the juggernaut, the, the arguably the best driver in the world, a top eight driver of all time in Lewis Hamilton, fifty plus wins. You, how's he going to stack up? That's going to be the question, and that is going to be the backbone maybe for the entire season. And, right. and and the bookies don't believe in him. Like that's why he's like five to one now to win the championship. Amazingly, which is like they think Vettel's got a better shot at this than Bottas does, which is terrifying. To Actually, me, given the cars they're in. Even Autosport thinks Vettel has a better chance. No one predicted that Bottas would win the championship, and they have wow. him as a consensus third in the championship. So oh, they have goodness. they have so I, they have Vettel splitting the Mercedes. Yes. Yeah, I don't think that's wow. necessarily fair to be honest. Because I don't at all. I don't think that's fair at all. Um, in his rookie year with Williams, he would he yes he was seventeenth with four points. But considering that 2013 Williams was a flaming pile of dog crap, it was pretty good to see him just regularly outperform a former Grand Prix winner, Pastor Maldonado. Then in 2014 and 2015, he was top five in the World Constructors Championship with eight podiums in those two spans of time. He picked up another podium in Canada in 2016 with a car that was clearly not as good as the ones for the two previous years. Botas has been a victim of circumstances because... It, has, it really isn't him that's been getting worse. It's the fact that the cards around him have been getting worse. Um, he doesn't well, have that excuse anymore. I should add that, like, just to summarize what the editor said, Anderson and Noble, 
basically they have him third for not any fault of his own. It's the fact that he's at a new team and they feel like it'll take time for him to find his feet. But by the end of the season, he'll be able to go toe-to-toe with Lewis Hamilton. But by that time, he'll be out of contention for the championship. Valtteri Botas was immediately setting top times and testing though so i don't out of the box yeah like right out of the box i don't necessarily agree that there's going to be a learning curve with him um it's going to be a lot closer fight i feel than i think a lot of people are giving him credit for just like it was with when nico rosberg was there when lewis hamilton first came in the expectation was that hamilton was going to wipe the floor with nico rosberg it didn't necessarily turn out to be the case it didn't at all. Rosberg was a competitive match for Ross for Hamilton every single year he was there at Mercedes together. And even 2013, the last year of the V8 era, Rosberg probably should have beaten Hamilton head-to-head if it wasn't for the bad luck he had at engine retirement. He had, he had more wins than Hamilton that first year they were together as well. Exactly. So... I don't want to make that same mistake twice and write off Bottas immediately like we did with Nico Rosberg on so many occasions. It, 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 time proved that Rosberg got better and better and Hamilton got complacent and you, you add that you add in some bad luck with some really bad starts and it opened the door for Rosberg to win the title, which he did. I'm not if the, if Merckx has the best car, which is very likely at this point, Bottas will be a contender and he will finish second at worst. There's no doubt about that. Because, if you, I mean, we saw it. Merck's, if Merck's are, are the top car at the weekend, they're probably going to finish one and two in whatever order. So that's going to make it that much harder for guys like, like like Sebastian Vettel to get involved in this title fight. And the question is, are we still sure that Merck's have the best car? And if so, by how much? Oh, I think they do still have the best car. But I, I I'm still in the camp that there's going to be some sort of learning curve. Uh, I feel like there might be just... I, I, I don't know. It's it's tough to say because I, I don't want to write off Botas. I've been a, I've been a proponent of this town for a number of years. Um, he's, he's shown that when he has the car underneath of him, he can do great things. You only have to look as far as his 2014 season where there were times where he genuinely could have won races in that Williams Mercedes Absolutely. Uh, so, do we? Okay, so with and that, that and all, that's no slide against Lewis Hamilton. No, who, absolutely. Remember, is, is probably I believe he's now second in all-time victories at this point. Yes, he is. Second in all-time wins. He's probably going to take the all-time pole record by the end of this year. Probably. Um, yeah, he's he's pretty good, y'all, and he's probably going to win a fourth championship. He yeah. would be your odds-on favorite. He actually is the odds-on favorite. He's 19-20 to 20 with the folks at Paddy Power right now to win the world title. So Lewis Hamilton is literally right about an even money shot. People have, people have said to me, Dre, where would you put your money on as the bookies guy? Bookies guy tells me, go, maybe go Kimi Raikkonen each way. If Raikkonen has a breakthrough season, each way places tend to play first or second. If Ferrari really is that good... The value might be Raikkonen, believe it or not. But, um, I mean, no one wants to really... Unless, you, unless you're rocking a serious amount of money, do you really want to wait eight months to get paid on a Lewis Hamilton better even money? 
I don't no, think so. No, you Double... won't even get you won't even get paid even money at nineteen to twenty odds. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Like nineteen to twenty is just under even. So like, if you put a thousand on it, you'd be winning nineteen fifty. So like right now, it's like unless you're a super high roller and you can afford to wait, don't bother with that. Like seriously, like Hamilton is not. Like, Things about betting Formula One is that there's not a lot of value in it, really. Yeah, like and, what? Um... What the only like really, like as you said, Raikkonen, but like the likeliest like like likely he could be champion and you would make money would either be Vettel or Botas. And Botas is probably a better shot than Vettel because that would rely on Ferrari having a better car, which is no guarantee right now. And I, I like give me the established car over the established driver in this case because the cars will, will come out on top in the end, at least if you ask me. So for those guys that have been asking me about that, your, the value pick is Valtteri Bottas. It's a good thing he's drifted out a little bit more in the market compared to Vettel, who people are throwing money down on. Yeah, right I now. think it's because of all the season previews coming out. Exactly, exactly. The testing, like Ferrari, looked probably as good as anybody in testing, and that's why everyone has come in. They've thrown money on Seb like a like a like a freaking rolling dumpster fire. It's crazy. Now, speaking of money, is it pretty much even money that we're not going to see a whole lot of overtaking because? Really, Probably. I think the litmus test of how good these cars are going to race is not going to come at Australia because no. Australia, while it is a war of attrition, doesn't naturally lean itself to overtaking anyway no. in any sort of car. So it'll probably be until Bahrain where you get a real sense of how these cars are going to race together, wheel to wheel, close to each other. Um, just, just hold off on that before really kind yeah. of going overboard with oh goodness these cars are going to race terribly I like I naturally I don't think they're going to race well together but because of how close some of the cars are in terms of testing times I think we could really see some in like it's just gonna amount to there has to be some place where these cars are gonna have to pass each other and yep. especially with the increased downforce of the cars, it's going to mean that DRS is going to be stupidly overpowered. Yeah, DRS is going to yep. be OP. <laughs> Lit. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait for that. I mean, as long as we get less situations where cars are just staying within like 1.5 seconds of the next guy, like we saw all through last year, I am. I, as we can get rid of that, I'll be a happy man indeed. I just hope these cars are not stupidly impossible to follow around. That would be the nicest thing to see. But um, some questions before we before we wrap up the, the the show this week. Your breakout star of the year, fellas. Oh, uh, I really don't want to say anyone's going to be a breakout star because it seems like most of these guys have been around for so long. If I had to say mm. any of the newer guys, I'd have to say Ocon. RJ, mm. you doubling down on that? Um, I am actually going to go. My breakout star would be Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll, okay. I think KMAG's gonna surprise people this year. I think I think KMAG is gonna is I think I think he's a good driver. I think he knows this is gonna be his last real chance. He's in a good team. He's got a good senior driver to learn from. He's got a good yardstick in Grosjean. I like I think KMAG's got something in him. I really do. I think I think he's had a raw deal for the majority of his career so far. I think he's waiting for the chance, and this could be the right chance for him. And if it doesn't work out, hey, Trevor Carlin's always opening up an IndyCar team, and that's the perfect fit. Hey. (laughs) Your Constructors' champions will be? Mercedes-AMG. Yeah, Mercedes-AMG. Like, even if, like, Vettel were to somehow win the title, I really think Mercedes would still win the the Constructors anyway. 
Scuderia Ferrari. No, 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 no. Sorry. Um, no, 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 no. Mercedes AMG. Stop. Sorry. The iconic kicked in there. My bad. And your driver's champion will be. Ah, oh, goodness. I, as much as I would love to see Sebastian Vettel back up at the fight, even as yeah. one of those people who was kind of like, oh, he's winning again, my goodness. It, it happens sometimes. You, you grow up and you learn. Mm-hmm. I really want to see Valtteri Bottas do well, but I got to go with the safe pick here. I got to go with Lewis Hamilton. He's in the prime of his career right now. He's perfect in every aspect of his game in terms of qualifying in terms of racecraft and in the wet or the dry he has the championship experience he's he's seemingly the perfect driver in the almost perfect car Mm -hmm. how can you not how can you not bet on that unless you want to lose money (laughs) king oh god like i really want to see vettel tie the man the myth the legend juan manuel fangio uh but I think, I think. Adopt him as your son. Adopt him as your son. I, I, Adopt him as your son. I, I have to go with RJ. Like, really, the guy right now is Lewis Hamilton, and Lewis Hamilton's gonna tie Sebastian Vettel this year and get a fourth World <laughs> Drivers Championship. I like the four club. It's a nice club. It's just Vettel and Alan Prost chilling in the back. It's a, it's a nice. Get that ragamuffin out of here. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't want any... You know what? Sod it. Sebastian Vettel's going to win the Drivers' Championship. I'm nailing it down. I've had enough. <laughs> it's for fun this way, King. See, see RJ... It's from the backcourt. See, see, RJ, all it took was that reverse psychology. All we had to do was, like, pound that in, like, Dre's worst fear. <laughs> of ah! Hamilton joining that four title club. <laughs> Can't do it, King. Can't do it. I can't have him in that club. I have to back Sebastian Vettel. I will go down in flames if I have to. Uh, I will go down in flames. Sebastian Vettel for the driver's title. Let's do it. Right. It's more fun that way. You get to see my pain as I live tweet races over and over again. Through Let's do it. Te- through gritted teeth and just looking oh. at him while, while, uh, while Mad World starts playing in the background <laughs> full blast. <laughs> That's one so we have, so we've got <laughs> so Ryan picks Ocon as his breakout driver. I'm going with Lance Stroll. Dre's going with Kevin Madison. We all unanimously agree that Mercedes AMG is going to win the constructors. Yeah, um, and it is a two thirds split. Me and King think Lewis is going to win the title. Dre is going to back Sebastian Vettel, even if it kills him. <laughs> why am I? Do- why do I do this to myself? Why? I mean, damn, like. After all this discussion, I'm actually excited for this season now. Somebody has to be. <laughs> I'm just going to Google this real quick. What, what's the latest price on Sebastian Vettel to win the championship? I'm going to look at it right now, just for my own peace of mind, so I don't like my, my head doesn't start coming out. Vettel is... Yeah, while we look yeah. at that, I do want yeah, to Yeah, I've got it. I've that... got it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton is even money, and uh, Sebastian Vettel is 7-2. to two. So he's still around that 4.5 sort of range right now. Bottas is 11 to 2 as the third favorite right now. Ricardo is uh, sorry, Verstappen is 8 to 1, Raikkonen 9 to 1, Daniel Ricardo 10s. Now that is interesting. Also Hamilton 10 to 11 favorite to win in Australia this weekend. Ooh. 
goodness. That's when you that's when you just decide, hey, just bet on the value picks for podiums instead. Yes. Uh, that seems to be the safe pick. Um, if I can say one thing to close out our season preview, I just Go for I it. just hope we have a, a good, safe season. Yes. And there's some good racing and we see a lot of surprise breakout performances that'll just bring us all together because when Formula One is good, we're all feeling good. And we yeah. want Formula One to be good. It's the Absolutely. pinnacle of motorsport, at least in marketing terms. So let it be that, y'all. If F1 is fun, we have more fun. I'm, 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 I'm going to be a bit like Brian Alvarez here. I'm not going to be the guy that's like, oh, no, I want F1 to be terrible. No, I want it to be great. I want it to be captivating television that we can talk about on this show every single week. And that it just hasn't been that the last two years. So... Please, for the love of God, give us a captivating season because I actually think 2016 was kind of underrated because of Nico Rosberg. And um, seeing those 2012 season reviews again make me very upset of what we could have had. But um, in any case, let's hope for the best. And of course, we will talk about the Australian Grand Prix inevitably on next week's show. And uh, gosh, it's going to be interesting to say the least. Um, that will just about do late, it. Stay up late and just... and I mean, hey, at least we... At least we get. At least we just. You know, we don't have to deal with knockout qualifying again. Yeah, every cloud and all that, right? Every cloud. That will just about do it for this week's episode. Um, before we go, check out Bike Live that will be out later this week we'll be with, with with Lewis Sudderby and Rebecca James. I'm not on this week's episode. I've yielded my seat for the return of the almighty Rebecca James. Um, my my kryptonite has kicked in. You know, you people have been asking for it, and uh, she is finally back this weekend uh, with a full MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3 season preview. So much to talk about where that's concerned. Maverick Vinales versus Mark Marquez. Will Rossi and Lorenzo come into play? The boosted satellite teams like Cal Crutchlow, Tech Free looking really good out there in testing. Where will KTM fit in? All that talk. Moto2 and the rise of Alex Marquez. Alex Marquez, Bookie's favourite for the Moto2 title. Who would have guessed that last year? Him and Franco Morbidelli leading the way in Mark VDS's camp and Moto3. Being Moto3. Need I say it? <laughs> Need I say it? Yeah, but like, oh, will Moto3 have a spectacular season? Well, it's it's Moto3. <laughs> it will. It, it just does. <laughs> it's about as nailed on as a Lewis Hamilton title win, apparently. But um, yeah, Moto3 is Moto3. Need I say more? A lot to look forward to. A massive season preview between Lewis Sutterby and Rebecca James breaking all of that down probably this weekend on Bike Live this week. I haven't got any, we haven't got confirmed dates just yet. By the time this episode goes out, we'll probably will have a confirmed date. I'll probably put it in the description of this episode if you get that nailed on in time. But of course, once again, before we go, we, basically we can find us youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com slash motorsport101, Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and our personal Twitters at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and RJ O'Connell. And if you really like us, why not back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget, five pence from every play on the network this week will go towards the Henry Surtees Foundation. So please, if you haven't already, why not tell a friend about us? You know, you can listen to some good audio podcasting content and raise some money for charity. Who doesn't love charity? So, until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening. They've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye.
Do you like that? You like that? <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> Shut up, King. <laughs> <laughs>